Welcome to Playing for Keeps, episode two. I'm your host, Neil Orfeu. You can find me on Twitter, at PlayerQDFS. My guest today is somebody that you probably already know, if you know me. Uh, I introduced him on Twitter as being a content creator whose analysis is so sharp that pros seek it out, and that is true. I also think that it is, he does great content analysis for everybody. I think that Adam is maybe one of the best NBA DFS content creators of all time. Of course, also does MLB, other sports. Uh, I don't care as much about those. I, I love his NBA content in particular. Uh, I think that there is there are levels to content. I think that ignoring bad content, like if you just ignore the people who are like, I just I like this guy or dislike this guy, that's why I'm going to play them. I think it starts with like people do content that kind of explains what goes into projection. I think that's the start of good content. And I think Adam does a good job of that. He gives you the projections. Yes, you can play this guy. No, you can't play this guy based on the projection. But then he also takes it another level that a lot of people don't get to, uh, where he talks about, you know, things where projections can be a little bit fragile, things that uh, what I always found really important is knowing like NBA rotations, that kind of stuff that maybe people who play a lot of DFS don't always have time to dig into NBA rotations coaching tendencies, stuff like that. I always appreciated Adam for those types of takes. So, you know, Adam uh, on his, he, he was on the theory of DFS with Jordan Cooper a few years ago, a couple years ago, maybe, and referenced that he learned a lot from uh, DC and Hefe back in the day when he was getting started. They were kind of people who, you know, changed his way of thinking about DFS. And I give Adam credit for that. Adam and and Josh, of course, who is in chat, uh, kind of won me over to Osimo four or five years ago, I, I had been consuming a lot of other content and I, I landed on the deeper dive with Adam and Josh Engelman and immediately was hooked. I was like, these guys think the way that I think really appreciate their content. Uh, you know, I, I like to pretend that I didn't, you know, learn from them how to play, but I think that my, my DFS play got a lot better after listening to these guys. So I, and that of course, uh, for the past couple of years has been my coworker also. Uh, so I've gotten to know Adam pretty well over the past couple of years. Not extremely well, but we, we've gotten to know each other better over the past couple of years. I'm really excited to have Adam on. Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate the intro. Uh, you talked, I think, more than Emac has ever even talked uh, to open a show with me, but um, I appreciate it. No, it's it's nice to be on a show. Like, I haven't done, I haven't done anything, I guess, in almost two months. So it feels weird. Like, I before the show, it had that feeling like, oh, I don't really remember how to do this. Like my bike wasn't working. I had to reset up like lighting and camera and stuff. So uh, it was kind of weird, but it's nice to do a show. You also uh, spent the entire night last night at a casino, didn't sleep at all the past couple of days, and apparently just completed a 24-hour fast. So you're just in, in prime condition right now. Yeah, it's been it's been a day. I kind of I went and played poker last night, got back my DFS and uh, betting losses, and then kind of realized mid-afternoon I hadn't eaten in like, 20 hours i was like oh, i'll just finish it out so had dinner before the show good to go now all right glad glad you are ready to go at this point we do have a lot of comments already some questions of course we will start with the usual format i'll just ask adam you know about his background and then of course if you guys have questions i'll be more on top of them later on in the show we'll do kind of a an audience questions portion of course if you have questions relevant to anything that we're talking about always uh, happy to check those out and answer those questions as well but do just want to start with a little bit of background and of course uh most people uh probably kind of know a lot of the stuff about you already um but favorite sports teams and or athletes and where you're from that kind of background info start there where, where are you from where do you live now uh favorite sports teams or athletes 
uh, from the suburbs outside DC, live in Baltimore now. Uh, favorite sports teams, Orioles, and then the DC teams, unfortunately. Uh, Commanders, Wizards, Caps are good sometimes. But uh, yeah, so lo local teams, um, favorite athletes, Kevin Durant, John Wall, you know, local guys, Durant from, from the area, Wall obviously playing for the Wizards. Could have been a Ravens fan. Could have been a Ravens fan and chose to go with the Commanders instead. Yeah, Ravens came when I was like seven. S yeah. Same reason I'm an Orioles fan. Like if the Nats had been there when I was a kid, I'd be a Nats fan. But they weren't, sure. and the Ravens weren't. So I guess that makes sense. So you, you were loyal to the to the teams that you started out rooting for, rather than switching over to the new teams as they came. Yeah, which at least for the Orioles now is is fun. I don't know that it'll ever be fun for the Commanders, but uh, for the Ravens, it's it's not bad. Like at least they're in a different conference than the Commanders, and their stadium is like a mile and a half from where I live. So I go to their games way more often than I go to Commanders games. Obviously, I root for them. The city's more fun, so it's nice. At least you know it's not like an NFC East team that I have to sit here like, oh, they're really good, and this really sucks because I have to not like them. It's easy to still root for them, just not when they're playing Washington. True. True. Um, all right. Uh, a little bit of background. Uh, what kind of background do you have in stats and or uh, programming? Any of that kind of stuff that helps you out with your DFS? What is? Do you have any like professional training in these aspects? Have you been teaching yourself? Uh, tell me about your background a little bit. Uh, professional training? No, I've never had a job um, outside of selling life insurance and bartending. So um, no, not there. But I, I do have an economics degree, so a little bit of background there. You know, obviously took stats classes as part of that. Uh, part of that degree uh, took econometrics courses, which I actually really liked. That was like the one thing in undergrad where I was like, Oh, I could actually see me doing this. Like I enjoy it. It's the one class that I, I still didn't go, but I actually you know, like would think about going. I, I wouldn't hate it when I was there. Did um, you read the books, like read the textbooks, even though you weren't going to class uh, enough? I mean, I, I did really well in the class. Like I specifically remember going, cause it was one of those classes where like they didn't attendance didn't matter but you would have like classwork assignments and in-class quizzes and stuff. And I remember getting a B in the course and I knew my professor pretty well. And it's the only time I ever questioned the grade. I was like, how bad did I do on the final to get a B in your class? He's like, you aced the final. You also turned in literally half of your classwork all semester <laughs> and like half of your quizzes all semester. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's fair. But like, I like that class. And so it's, I still don't have, I, I'm definitely behind a lot of like good DFS players in terms of certainly programming, which I really can't do, but uh, any anything math-based, it's kind of like, I understand how things are supposed to work. I'm not necessarily good at implementing it, at least without a lot of effort, uh, but I do at least have that background where like, I know, I know how things are supposed to work. I can kind of like get myself in the right direction. Um, that's yeah. something that at least like intuitively makes sense to me. I feel like you and I are fairly similar in that I think of you as being pretty math brained and, in, and like understanding how things work, but then also not like really getting too deep into it, like to, to the programs. Although I do think that you are like the, the more we've talked about your process, I do think that your process is like more evolved than mine is. You are trying to originate some of your own things, do your own sims, that kind of stuff, which is something that I've I've never tried to do that. I, I just kind of uh, use other other people's products and wing it for the most part, although that's something that I'm trying to uh, to change a little bit. But it does seem like you have, you know, a little bit of uh, an advanced process, which I guess we can uh, get into that a little bit more uh, in a bit. We'll, we'll talk about your process a little bit. Uh, but first, just tell me about your uh, professional background prior to DFS and any related hobbies. Um, didn't really have one bartended for several years after college, just kind of not really doing anything in my hometown. Um, stopped doing that 
sold life insurance, as I mentioned, for like maybe two months. Like I was good at it, but absolutely hated it. Like it's it's just not like I, I can go into somebody's house and like sound convincing. I mean, I, I think I do it on shows too. Like I'll I, I'm good at sounding like I know what I'm talking about, yeah. um, even if I don't. But I, I hated it. Like just it was it was miserable. So that was when I finally decided like screw it, I'll go to law school. I have nothing better to do. And so I did that, went for a semester, started to have more success with DFS. And then after a semester, um, my, my grades were fine. Like I, if I had a good second semester of 1L, I could have gotten the internships that I wanted, but uh, I would have had to have a good second semester. And the school told me I could keep my scholarship, take a one-year leave of absence, see how you know DFS went. If I wanted to come back, I could. So I did that, never went back. And that was like eight years ago. So uh, this being a podcast, I'm trying to make this more of a podcast than like the live show that I'm used to. So I'm trying not to respond to all the things that we're seeing in chat that like are going to be completely irrelevant to everybody in two months. But I do see a lot of people telling me that Ant started the second half. Appreciate you guys for giving me that update after Ant uh, twisted his ankle in the first half. That is, of course, big news to me as a Wolves fan. Uh, Joshua says that apparently Max Bruce just hit a 60-foot buzzer beater for the win so oh, we're missing yeah, some I, I, I had over eight and a half points for Struess, and last i looked he had six so that's right. win. i don't know if that's what won it but at least i know i won yeah no don't apologize uh neil neil j i appreciate the update i was was worried about Ant, so that is that is awesome to hear that he is back um yeah so uh i, I think uh law school so that, that's another thing that you and i have in common i actually the only law school that i visited outside of the u of m where i ended up going was Wash U because I one of my friends from undergrad, uh, his parents are I think one of them maybe both are professors at uh, the undergrad at Wash U. So I actually visited and, and stayed with them and he came home and like it, it was a good time. But uh, checked out the Wash U law school very. Yeah, very I nice I think I told you Minnesota I believe so I I had applied to law schools and then decided not to go and then the second time this the next year when I did it I'm pretty sure Minnesota where you went was my first acceptance. Oh really. Nice. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty comparable schools. Although, of course, uh, Minnesota has surpassed WashU, the, the better law school. As, yeah, as you know. we, we have the better L, we have the better LSAT, which I would hope because they were <laughs> true. they were paying a lot of money for those when I went. Yes, they were. I, I, I assume they still are at this point. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've always been very heavy, uh, heavy on the LSAT overgrades. Um, all right. Only uh, I, got it. <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, approximately, so so uh, I don't remember. I don't think you got here. When when did you start playing DFS? Like, how, how did you start getting into DFS and and content? I think I started playing probably 2014. Like, if I go back to my Rotogrinders page, I think that's when I created an account there. Um, I know I had created like a FanDuel account in 20 I don't know 2011 2012 yep. through like Pocket Fives playing poker and like never even didn't even remember it existed uh and so i guess i started playing like a little bit you know 2014 ish and it was more so you know like oh i like i, I think the way a lot of people start if, especially if they're sports fans like if you're if you're getting into it as a sports fan and like i had a poker background i wasn't i never was anything in poker but i was getting into it pretty heavily and i think getting pretty good right when black friday hit so like i have the sort of you know game theory probability background and it was like, this is something I should be good at between, you know, sort of understanding games and knowing a lot about sports. And of course, I wasn't very good at it because that doesn't necessarily translate. But 
um, it was something, you know, I would kind of play around with and I stuck with it. You know, I had some success here and there. Uh, I think I actually won, if I remember right, my first baseball tournament on DraftKings for like $2,000 or something, um, which, you know, was significant money to me at the time. Yeah. And, uh, so it, it was one of those, where it was like, I, I've had some success, you know, I, I had, I had that feeling from winning and I kind of stuck with it. And then, uh, in law school, I guess I started taking a little bit more seriously, which thinking about how I approached it then compared to now and saying I take it took it seriously sounds like ridiculous because yeah. if I saw somebody same yeah if I saw somebody like with the process now that I had back then I would laugh and <laughs> right. you know, just, the, the game's changed so much there's so much more available to when, when was that law school for you 20 uh fall 2015 okay so I, we, I, we never we never would have been classmates even uh, okay. if I went to watch you okay you're yeah a I quit I, I dropped out January 2016 okay um, yeah, a couple a couple more ways that you are pretty similar to me. I, I got it like n not a huge surprise. I was also into poker for a while, but like really casually. And I don't I don't think I would say that I ever got good. Like I would go on winning streaks and think that I was getting good at uh, at poker, but never actually was like I would I would win for a night and then lose it all. You start drinking, lose it all, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but also the, the DFS. It's funny you say that you started on FanDuel back in like 2011. Maybe they just like put in fake entries for us because I have no recollection of playing FanDuel in 2011. I remember starting uh, to play in like 2013, but I have entries. I have at least one entry in my roto tracker from 2011. So allegedly I played FanDuel back then. I think what it was, at least how mine got created was like Pocket Fives, the poker forum that was run by like Cal and the Roto Grinders people um, just had some sort of like promo or giveaway or something if you just entered a FanDuel lineup. And so I think I did that and then forgot it even existed. I've never thought about this, but now now I'm suddenly wondering how many people that I like now know through DFS are the people that I was playing against full tilt poker back in the day. Like I, I'm sure it was a lot of the same people and I've just never that's, thought about that. That's actually one of the coolest things for me is there are, there are, you know, a few like pro poker guys that I remember watching their videos on, you know, card runners or whatever training sites it might, it may have been that like now will DM me about DFS or like text me about DFS. And it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. That is, I don't remember the name sadly. So I, I couldn't tell you like if, if one of them, the people that I knew the names really well back then messaged me, I would not know who they were, unfortunately. So can't, uh, can't, can't figure it out if they are the same people. Um, I had another thought, but I, I forgot what it was. So I'll continue on. Um, we're, uh, so you were you were kind of a winning player like pretty quickly. Like it sounds like you you won four figures at least like your first year, which which sounds like not a lot. But like to me, that was huge money back then, too. Like I would have been stoked to win two thousand dollars. I mean, I'm sure I also gave it back. I don't think I mean, I have my roto tracker here. It, uh, my well, it, it's crazy, too, because like the amount of volume you're you're playing back then is just like non-existent. Like if you look at my roto tracker, like 2014 through 2016, it's kind of just like a flat line across like the zero. It's you know probably plus or minus like 5K in there. Uh, and then you just start getting the you know massive swings in okay. 2016. Right. You, you can't, it doesn't look like massive swings because you've played so much since right. then that it's like whatever. Oh yeah, I remember what what I was going to say is my process. Uh, you, you're talking about how your process back then you were serious about it, but also like you didn't have a good process. My process was like I would read articles and like write down the names of players. I also when I started playing NBA DFS, I literally wasn't an NBA fan when I started, so I was like I don't know who these guys are. So I would like read like uh, I, I know I read like the Grind Down Notorious, which is you know good good writing good article but it was like i would just like write down the name to like learn who i was even thinking about at the time definitely not like thinking about i mean i think i was thinking about ownership but it was definitely definitely not an advanced process i didn't have uh, access to projections anything like that 
Yeah, same. So I, I still remember because sometimes I would do it during class, which is probably why my grades were mediocre. Um, but I can still remember my process was basically and like looking back, it's with the knowledge I had then, I think I came up with like a pretty good intuitive process, but it just would be so behind the times now. But basically, you know, I, I wasn't using projections either. I don't know if Fantasy Cruncher even existed yet. If it did, I wasn't using it. Um, but I would basically go through and write what essentially I thought like the best lineup you could play was. And then I would try and figure out, you know, I'd look at the lineup. I would look at options in the price range and positions around those guys. If I remember right, this was before MPE. So you had a more direct, like if people are playing Chris Paul, they're not playing John wall type thing and kind of say, okay, you know, obviously I think this guy's a good play. I just put him in the best lineup I could make, but I know that at these two or three positions, uh, there's two or three other guys that can do the same thing as the guy that I think everybody's going to play. And I would play really, really concentrated cores. Like I would put in, you know, five, 10 lineups with like basically just two V twos at like what I thought the weakest or easiest to like interchange positions were. And that was also back when tournaments were not as top heavy. So you would actually, if you just had a night where your core did well, you would two or three X in GVPs, which was really fun. Um, Obviously not the case anymore, but, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, like I can remember one night specifically being, I was at a, a party uh, on this, on a side note, like in law school, I think my only wins were if I was at parties. So like people <laughs> I went to law school with thought I made so much more money than I realistically did because every time they were at a social event with me, I was making money um, and then just losing it, I guess, yeah. whenever I wasn't with them. Um, but I remember being at a party and I'm looking at my phone and I just had like eight teams in the top 10 because I just had the same core. It's all smashing. I think I ended up finishing like three through 10 or something. So like the nut low basically, but um, it it was, it was, that was basically my process. It was just like, you know, I'm going to play 10 lineups or whatever. If the core hits, I'm going to have all these little two V twos. And, but yeah, it was just by hand sort of like trying to basically by hand, trying to, I guess, do what you're doing now in like 10 seconds with an optimizer or Sims or whatever. And this was on FanDuel, I assume. Uh, DraftKings. I always sucked on FanDuel. Interesting. I was, I was FanDuel until I think I was basically FanDuel and still, until I started listening to you guys. And it was like, you guys talk so much more about DraftKings than FanDuel that over time, I just kind of started taking my, my entries over there. But like, I still think fan, like I don't, I haven't played FanDuel probably at all this year, very little last year. I still think it's probably much softer and probably the better place to play. I just, I've gotten so used to playing DraftKings at this point. It probably is. It is mind blowing to me how I just like cannot win on FanDuel. I was actually laughing earlier because I've started sports betting more now, especially having you know more time with not doing content. And it's like I'll deposit, you know, obviously I have money on DraftKings because of DFS. I'll you know deposited money on other sports books and it stays there. I withdraw, you know, whatever. I put money on FanDuel, it disappears. I put money on FanDuel, it disappears. Like I can't even win bets on FanDuel. <laughs> I mean, that, that has been my recent uh, experience with FanDuel also. I have not won anything uh, at least a, a year and a half or so. I haven't won anything on FanDuel, so I definitely feel that. Uh, but yeah, again, my process was very similar. Getting started was like I'd make out a lineup and then it was basically one V ones. Like it was just like, Oh, but I like that guy just as much yeah. as this guy, like the last guy in. So I'll do the same lineup with that guy, which of course now it's like, probably not the smartest approach. Like that was just like, we were not like making the most solid lineup pools. We, we were not differentiating our lineups enough. I, I see you disagreeing yeah. a little bit. No, no, I, I agree, but it was different because of the payout structures too. Good like point. I think now the fact it, it's always important. And, and like you were saying, you know, we probably shouldn't have had our lineups competing with each other quite as much as we did, but I think it's more important now where if you don't get like a top three spot, you're just not going to win. You're right. not going to profit. And I would also, so I, I think I would, 
oftentimes, depending on how much I was playing on a given night, I would do that twice. So it would be like I'd make one lineup and then do like five 1v1s with that lineup and then make a whole different lineup and then do five 1v1s with that yeah. one. A lot of the time would be like, yeah, different different cores kind of, uh, but different. And then it would be- I course, remember- Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you'd be so tilted when it was like, oh, these two players hit from that group and these two players, are, if I just combine yeah. them, like, like, you know, like, like the fish we were. Well, and that never goes away. Like that's true. Still true. Me yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say I, I, I definitely remember that one of my like strategies was it, it was basically game log watching, except like sort of, I guess in reverse, like just going through and finding the guys who they went from 6k to 5,500 and the previous game they shot three for 15. Right. You know, which again, like I sort of was doing what you're doing with right. the process kind now, of advanced, really. Yeah. Just in a very inefficient and you know stupid way, but um, I definitely remember doing that. And I'd actually wrote one or two, not paid or anything. I had just posted a couple of articles on my Roto Grinders page back in 2016 or whatever. And I occasionally like will go back and look at those just to be like, okay, what stupid thoughts did I have? And the thing that like stands out to me is I know in one of them, and it worked out. And it goes back to your like point about rotations. I don't like I don't pay as much attention to the rotations now as I used to, in part just because my process has changed, but also because the NBA has changed, where teams just don't worry about matching up as much as they used to. But there was like a lineup that I had played that did well, and it was like Amir Johnson with the Celtics, and I played him at like one percent owned. He scored like thirty fantasy points, and my reasoning was just like the matchup was against so-and-so front court where he was the only guy that like made any sense to match up with this guy. They'd done it twice already this year. Nobody else noticed. I played him and like he smashed. And it's like, I kind of missed those days where you could just be like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to play today. And nobody's aware of that. Oh, so, so speaking, I don't know why I, I kind of know why this reminded me of this uh, topic, but um, I, I want to talk a little bit about this potential no late swap on DraftKings. And what do you think? Like, what is your preference? I, I know you've said this on Twitter. I honestly don't remember what you said. Uh, do, do you want to have late swap with all the games included? Uh, do what they've been doing where they just remove the final games of the night? Or would you prefer just no, no late swap? What, what is your preference? My preference is late swap with all the games included because I'm doing this to... Yeah make as much money as I can. And like, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Like I don't enjoy sitting at my computer until 10 o'clock, but um, for one, it's not the worst thing I could be doing. Like during the summer when I have nothing to do after lock during baseball season, it's a lot harder for me to just not be at the bar four nights a week, you know, going out or whatever. So like, you know, it's not the end of the world. I don't have kids or anything. So yeah. that's not a, a concern. Um, so for me, it's, you know, obviously I would just prefer what's going to maximize my potential money. Um, I will say that when DraftKings got rid of late swap a few years ago, I was very against it. I thought I was going to absolutely hate it. I didn't care. Like, again, obviously I would prefer there to be a bigger edge, but you know, I got used to it. It didn't bother me. Like I've already thought about, you know, like, yeah, maybe I'm just going to take Friday off. I don't really want to add. Cause, Cause the thing that I don't like, especially like you have such top heavy GPPs now and it's just, it's adding variance and removing yeah edge um but the you know you do have people have made the point you know like if you're playing multiple lineups if you do have the bankroll you can take advantage now of these q tags but it's it's still like i think most 99 percent of people that think they are capable of guessing relatively accurately who's going to play and who's not are just kidding themselves so i don't think it's so much that like good players are getting an advantage in that way so much as they can just gamble in like a profitable way, I guess, but yeah. it's, I don't know. It's not the game that I like to play. Like I, I don't like spending my time trying to guess it. Who's going to, who's going to play, you know, and then figuring out 
three or four or five sets of projections or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. It's not enjoyable for me, but uh, I, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would the last time. I don't like, I didn't like them cutting off the late games like they have. And even that, like I've kind of, it, it is nice. Like I'm done with the main slate at eight o'clock. I'm not sitting here right now trying to late swap lineups for the main slate, right. but I also realized that I'm losing an edge because right. I can't late swap. And because also in that case, like in that case, not only are you losing a lot of the late swap utility, but you're just losing choices. You're losing games. And that's something that benefits good players as well. Um, so from just an entertainment standpoint, it's fine. But my, the thing that I think is a little bit different and why if I had to choose like getting rid of games or adding late swap or getting rid of late swap, I think I would say getting rid of late swap just because I don't think there's anybody out there that is just like, I don't play NBA DFS because I don't want to deal with the 10 o'clock Clippers game. I think there's absolutely a lot of people that are like, I don't play NBA DFS because I don't want to deal with late swapping. So I do think you're at least going to grow the player pool, which in turn should grow tournaments. I don't know if it actually will. The follow-up to that though, and I posted this on Twitter the other day, is if you take it a step further, I do think that there are people that will be like, oh, I'll come back and play now. But a, a nice percentage of those people, once they get one or two zeros because their few yeah. tag sits, are going to be like, oh, well, this sucks. I'm not playing anymore. And now all that you've actually really added to the player pool is like solid DFS players that weren't playing because of the time commitment. And I don't really want to play against those. That That's not that's not offsetting the lack the, the loss of edge from losing late swap. Like the loss of edge from losing late swap would be if you just have an abundance of just general normal people coming into play. But I think a lot of those people are going to stop playing as soon as they take a couple of zeros. And now it's just kind of, you're still playing a very difficult game with less potential edges now, which sucks. Yeah. No, that, that is a, that is a good, good breakdown. I, the, the one thing that I think about, like, so like when, when we were playing years ago, FanDuel didn't have late swap. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe at least for, for a period, maybe a year or so they had no late swap. So you FanDuel could didn't like, have late swap for a very long time. Okay. Okay. Like that, that, that was their status quo until a couple years ago. And like, so I kind of liked it from the perspective of like, uh, you could play it both ways. Like you could make lineups that have like like tonight. You know, Rudy Gobert was questionable. Uh, he, I think it was he, he was ruled in before lock. But like if he had not been, you could have made lineups uh, projecting both ways. And of course, I never had projections. But like if you did have the ability to project it both ways, I feel like you could play, you know, ten one way, ten the other way. And most of the field is completely ignoring that scenario. So you're going to get if Rudy Gobert is in, you're going to get him really really low owned. But then if Rudy Gobert is out, you're going to get. I mean, I guess this isn't the best example because Nas Reed was going to be owned anyway because Cat was out. But uh, pretend that's pretend it is uh, a different team, I guess. If it was Joel Embiid and Paul Reed, I guess, uh, if, if Joel Embiid was healthy. But like people, I don't think, I think people are extremely risk averse. So if you just are, uh, if you just embrace the risk a little bit and play it, you could either play it all one way or just, or really just play both ways. I think you can get a big advantage in, you know, some of your lineups. And since it's, since all the money goes to first place anyway, like part of me thinks that there would be huge edge there. Another part of me thinks the field has gotten so good that it wouldn't be as big as it was six, seven years ago. So I, I don't yeah. know. I, I go back and forth. I was going to say um, somebody in chat had sort of said that too, that the field's going to be predictable because, you know, there's going to load up on early games and whatever. Um, I just think the field in general is good now. So yeah, the field um, has gotten a lot better. Yeah, like I'm not saying they're going to play perfectly or anything. And, you know, I do agree that by not being risk averse, you can create advantageous situations for sure when news breaks your way. Um, because and because what will happen is 
and I think you said it, people will sort of split the difference and be wrong twice. Yeah. Like the field will say, I'm not playing Halliburton and they're not playing McConnell. Exactly. And so no matter how that news breaks, there's an advantage for getting it right. Right. Um, so like, yeah, there are, you can create advantages, I think. And I don't yeah. think the field by any means is going to play perfectly, but I do think you will probably see it more. Every, I think everybody's process now is just more projections based. So like if the main content sites are projecting in that Halliburton McConnell situation, if they're projecting Halliburton in, I don't think you're going to get like 4% on Halliburton anymore. You're going to get like nine or 10. Whereas, right. you know, maybe a few years ago, you would have gotten four. Right. But so, so uh, I, I, we're going to go kind of out of order. I guess I don't really have an order anymore, but how do you think this affects the Sims? Like I was thinking about this, like if late swap goes away, like it obviously takes away a lot of the functionality that has now been built into all the Sims products across the industry, but also like, are they going to have to build up out two different sets of Sims now to like, if, if there is, if, if late swap does go away, are they going to have to, for every questionable player be like, all right, you have to like, here's the field. If you assume this player is out, I don't know. It, it feels like it would be, I feel like it's an advantage to people who are, it, it takes away some of the advantage of simming because the field that that gives you assumes one specific thing, and then you're not going to be able to late swap kind of. So I kind of wonder if it like, if you are good at, if you're good at DFS and not using Sims, I feel like it's going to be to your advantage if if late swap goes away. Do you think that's true? I, I think that makes sense. And that's sort of another thought I had had from my personal standpoint and, you know, just caring about my like myself. I have a process that I like using, you know, just catered to the way the game is right now. Right. I don't really in March want to just start a new NBA process of trying to figure out what I'm doing for the next two months. Um, I don't really want to do that. And, you know, like I'm having a good NBA season. I, I don't want to change anything. So yeah, I think that at the very least it's going to be a pain in the ass and you're going to have to figure out how to do it. It's probably going to be somewhat time consuming. Uh, and, you know, at, at worst or best, depending on which side of it you're on. Yeah. If you're somebody that has a completely different process, then you could, possibly have an easier time yeah i feel like this is worst for the people with the most advanced processes where it's like man I, I put in all of this work to like create this whole system that involves late swap and being able like the optionality having a plan for for how things change and now it's like you just take this away like if you take this away mid-season like that it sucks for people who have very advanced processes i would i would think yeah and really yeah like i said I, I kind of was thinking about it in my own terms but like i also know people have more advanced or better processes than me it kind of like it, it just sucks thinking about it that way just the time the time and you know work that people fit in now obviously that's not you know if, if you're you're playing this game to try you know to make money at it and you're you're successful you your job is to um, figure it out adapt and figure out whatever they change you know it's not you can't sit here and be like damn this sucks i put in months of work and now i have to start all over it, it does suck but like yeah. end of the day that's what you signed up for Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I suspect they're not going to get rid of late swap, but you, you never really know. Um, I assume that you think, uh, NBA is the sport where you're, you have the biggest edge. Do you disagree with that? Or are there other sports where you think it's close? Uh, no, I mean, NBA is, NBA is hard. Um, interesting. I, I should have the biggest edge at baseball, but I don't think I do. Um, I would guess that it's still NFL just because 
that's where the most casual players are. True. Like, it's certainly not the sport that I know the most about. That would be baseball uh, followed by basketball. Like, you know, baseball, I know the ins and outs of baseball. Like, it's really? my sport. Um, hmm. Basketball, like, I, I know baseball the way Josh knows basketball. Like, Josh will try and talk about basketball with me. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I can tell you what players are going to, I think are going to play how many minutes, but I don't understand defense. I don't understand offensive schemes. I don't understand what you're saying to me. Like stop. Um, baseball for me is that sport where if knowledge just translated, like that would be it. But I mean, I think for most people, it's probably football. I, I did have a really, really shitty football season. So maybe same, not. Same. Um, like unbelievably bad, but yeah. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think it just has to be football still. I, I guess I so I should know that you know baseball really well because we did so many baseball shows together uh, over the summer. But I uh, just tuned you out the whole time. I never listened to a damn word you said. Um, yeah. And I, I I don't I don't uh, kidding kidding aside. I really don't consume baseball content in general just because to me it's entirely a numbers game. Whereas like I always like I watch every single NBA show that you did. Like every time you're on the deeper dive, I was like, okay, I want to listen to this. Hear about you know, rotations, coaching decisions, things that might happen on this slate that aren't accounted for in the projections. Like that, that was always like, I listened to the deeper dive with, with you and Josh, like with an ear towards where are the projections fragile? Where might I be able to take advantage of uh, projections being wrong here and there? So uh, I've always thought of you being like an NBA first guy and then MLB. And I've, I've, I, you know, I don't think of you as being an NFL primarily guy because you've never enjoyed I think for, from what I recall you saying, you don't really enjoy doing NFL content, but also I agree with you. Like, yeah, it's just, it is the softest field. So regardless of whether you love it, it's still just, it's, it's softer than other sports. Yeah. I mean, part of the, the main reason that I've always said, I don't enjoy doing NFL content. Like I would do the show on Sunday mornings uh, with Josh and I enjoyed that. It was that. So part of the reason that I never really got into NFL content was I was very, like I was having success in NFL and I didn't want to change my process. And my process didn't involve diving into things on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. Um, I am very much a wake up Sunday morning and run a bunch of stuff and figure it out. I don't like in really any sport. I, I don't like putting myself in a position to like have biases before I run my stuff. That was something that when I first started doing content, I had a really difficult time with. Like back then I was still building by hand. And like now it's a lot easier because I'm just clicking buttons and playing whatever shows up. But I was building my hand and I would do a show and be like, you know, I really like this picture or whatever it may be. And then I go to build lineups and I'm like, you know, or, you know, I'd be like, I don't like this picture. And then I build lineups and be like, you know, what would fit really well into this lineup is that picture that I just said I don't like, but I can't play him. I just said, you know, I don't like him. And so that was really hard for me. And so that was I, I really wanted to avoid that with NFL, especially when I was you know, coming off of big seasons, it was like, I don't, I don't want to change my process to where I'm thinking about it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then now I'm running lineups on Sunday being like, Oh, I'm getting to this guy, but I don't really think I didn't, I don't really like him. I, I think maybe I should change that or just something like I, that was the last thing I wanted to do. So it wasn't so much that I, I dislike NFL content. It was just, uh, I, I didn't want to do it during the week. And also like, I do not know NFL. And I guess like I would, if I was doing content, I guess like I don't know NBA rotations now like I did two months ago right. because I don't need to. But, you know, with NFL, like when I would do those shows with Josh, it was a lot of like, yeah, I guess this dude's the backup running back for the Raiders and uh, the right. starters out. <laughs> yeah. I can, I've consumed. I've consumed that content as well. Um, yeah, that's uh, extremely relatable to me and probably not that many other people. The, the whole conundrum of like doing content and then being like, 
oh, but actually, I really, I, I actually like this guy. I changed my mind after, after doing content. Like I actually, I think that does make more sense. This makes a lot of sense in this lineup that I made. And I don't know, it's, it's tough. It's tough doing content and also playing. Um, I guess, I guess that's what we signed up for. Um, By the way, for anybody that sort of wants a sweat, I have a decent team in the $15 on DraftKings. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ant, a, a fourth quarter from Ant would be nice. How, uh, how far out are you? Um, I am 13 points back. Neither team ahead of me has Ant, but obviously there's teams behind me too. Yeah. Uh, is Ant all you have left? Uh, I have two minutes of McBride and it looks like Murphy's done. So, All right. Well, good luck to you. Uh, people right. can check it out. Go go follow the uh, the $15. See if Ant, if uh, Adam's sweat is real. And uh, yeah, we can, we can cheer for Ant together. Um, all right, let's let's talk a little bit. Oh, Wolves are up 18, Steven says, so that could be an issue. Yeah, um, I'm hoping that he at least gets out there for like a little bit. Yeah, good luck, good luck. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit of process now that you are fully distracted by your sweat. Uh, let's get into your process a little bit. Uh, so starting with uh, Sims. So I, I've asked this forever. Of course, now Sims are much more widely available than they were when I started uh started talking about this stuff uh sims versus optimizer what do, do you use an optimizer still do you have you been using sims what what does your process look like these days um it's it's very heavily sims based uh that started over the summer i've used a variety of them i built my own that uh, like aren't as good as what's current like publicly available now so now i use publicly available stuff but for a while i think they were comparable and i was using them uh just because you know, all things equal, I would like to be able to see the inputs and assumptions yeah. and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I switched to, to I switched to that. I think it's really interesting and sort of comparable to optimizers in that I, I do think they're a step up. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the ins and outs. Like I don't, I'm not, like I said, I'm not that good at math. I'm not that good at, or good at all at programming. But um, I think that they're kind of similar in that like when you had when, like fantasy cruncher was the big thing and for a while you could kind of just use an optimizer and make money like it was going to make you better than the field and then it became it became like everybody thought like that's all you had to do but there's a lot of ways you can get creative with it and i think that's what's really interesting to me about sims is yeah you can just you know run them and you're gonna get quality lineups and then if those quality lineups run well you win um so like it's if you're somebody that like doesn't have a good NBA process and then you start using Sims, you're going to be better basically just like by default, which, um, you know, is good for people. It sucks for the, you know, for playing, but again, it goes back to games are going to get harder. And if you're trying to make money at this, you have to find ways to adapt. But I think that the Sims are really interesting to me because while I'm not good enough at math or programming to like build my own stuff, I am pretty good. I think kind of going back to just understanding intuitively what I want to do and how things should work. I'm pretty good at like kind of sensing out where maybe things are, I don't know if flawed is the right word, but like not necessarily doing exactly what people think they are and like finding ways to change it around. And I remember it was something with fantasy cruncher, like back when I was first sort of starting to MME back in, I guess it was probably 2019 um, I think I had, if I remember right, I had like a bad 2018, maybe out of bad 2019, whatever, one of those years. And they're like it, in my DFS, like sort of progression, it's like every probably two years, I like hit a wall where it's like the field adjusts or I need to get better or whatever. And I'll have like a bad year and, um, you know, then, then figure it out. And the big thing for me then was sort of figuring out 
and I hadn't even thought of it until players better than me sort of mentioned it in conversation. And, and it kind of got me thinking, but like using fantasy cruncher, but also using like Excel and taking stuff out of fantasy cruncher and using Excel to, you know, do, do different things, uh, you know, different ways to determine which lineups I actually wanted to be playing outside of just saying like, Hey, go crunch lineups and I'm going to play those. Um, and so that's sort of the interesting thing for me with Sims now is, you know, you can kind of do the same thing. You can, obviously you can just run them and play those lineups, but you can take, you can export lineups. You can take all the data from those lineups and do whatever you want with them and use whatever you simmed as like another metric. You don't have to necessarily just play those, um, play those lineups one through 50, even though like, obviously you can, but um, so that's the thing for me is kind of trying to think about, you know, like, okay, I know people are using these more. How can I still, how can I use these to get better and still be different than the field? Like how can I potentially create an advantage for myself using tools that I know a lot of other people are using. Um, so that's kind of just always like a fun challenge for me. And then, and it's just like different ways. Like I hadn't even thought about this until I don't know if I read a tweet or read something somewhere recently where if you wanted to, and I, I it's not something that I've done, but like, let's say you're playing uh, the, the, I guess, use case that I thought of was like, let's say you're somebody that's going to go play one NFL lineup. Um, you could, you know, take your field and then you could just like make it sim a bunch of, two one stacks and then a bunch of two two stacks and one one stacks whatever and then you can see like which stacks are as a whole doing the best against the field and that answers your question of like what kind of stack do i want to use on the slate and then you can go back and actually figure out what you know two one stack you actually want to use like there's so many ways i think you can use it outside of just the immediate way that everybody's using it yeah absolutely and that, that is something that i've been like I feel like I've hit a wall, like, I mean, I hit a wall a uh, year and a half ago and I, I have not adjusted in part because I was always doing content. Like I've always been on live before locks and stuff. And it was just like, it's not really worth my time because I'm not going to be able to do anything advanced while I'm on a live before lock. I don't know. So I, I have been slow to adjust, to be honest. Uh, and I, something that I've been thinking a lot more about this year is just like, okay, I really, I do need to adjust my process. And it's something that like, I knew, like, I've been told that, you know, two and a half years ago, I remember uh, having a conversation with uh, Brian Hooper. He was like, yeah, I think people with your process, that's not going to work. Like soon you're going to need to adjust. And I was like, I know that this is true, but also like it was working for me. And it was like, after, after a few months, it's like, well, do I really want to switch things now? This worked so well for me for a few years. Like, do I really want to switch things? And, and then it, I just, I have not adjusted my process nearly enough. So now I'm like, I need to adjust and, and need to figure out how to use SIM products better, you know, as you said, other than the way that people are just using them, which is, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward, just spitting out the, the best lineups, uh, according to what it says. I think that there are better ways to use SIMs. Um, I do want to push back on one thing you said, which is, I think you said that there's not a huge difference uh, in some ways, and, and I don't want to misquote you, but you said something along the lines of not a huge difference between an optimizer and Sims in some ways. I would say that might be true for you. I don't think that's true for most people, because for most people, if you don't really know how to use an optimizer, you're just going to make shitty lineups. They're going to probably project well, but they're not going to be good lineups that have a real shot at winning. Whereas a Sim, it's going to give you like actually good lineups. Like the, the top expected ROI lineups are going to be good lineups. And then you can, you know, disagree about like how you want to use those lineups which ones you want to use but like you have the starting place of good lineups are given to you from from sims whereas in a, an optimizer you need to know how to make good lineups yeah yeah completely agree with that um I, I think that sort of the 
like I, I think they're similar in the sense that like well one they just make everybody immediately better than they were like yeah when optimizers came out it made you way better than you, know, you just had to use them and you were going to be better than what people were doing previously um, now obviously the fields surpassed that and if you're just plugging in things to an optimizer you're going to suck but mm -hmm. um but yeah no it's definitely uh, like you said it, it is I mean I think it was the big concern when everybody started releasing sims was like okay um how quickly are we gonna kill this game because right. when you can just do nothing and have a completely quality lineup that factors in a variety of things that is just different than hey here are some projections figure out how to use them are you i feel like i've noticed just in screenshots and I, i've just started playing nba dfs again i took tonight off but in general i've been playing nba dfs again recently i feel like i've seen a ton of dupes winning which is not something like even on like, like i'm not talking about last night a four game slate with a two two-way dupe like i'm not really concerned about that but like eight game slates that still have like major dupe trains and i'm like I don't feel like this was a thing in the past. Am I misremembering or do you think that that's just a result of a lot of people are using the same Sims or similar Sims and they're spitting out similar lineups at the top and you end up with a lot of people ending on the same lineups. Uh, do, do you think, think that has been a change? Okay. I think that is probably happening a little bit more because of Sims. We've also had a lot of really stupid NBA slates where the Grizzlies are sitting their entire team every day. Okay. Um, there's just been a few teams that are constantly hurt and have been really shorthanded Memphis, you know, being the primary one that comes to mind, but we've just had a lot of slates where it's just like, okay, there's really nothing you can do about this. You are going to play a bunch of these guys and that's going to leave you paying up for these guys. And it is what it is. Yeah. Interesting. Cause that, that's something that I've been like, if, if we do start seeing that like every night, the winning lineups are like most nights, the winning lineups are dupes to me. That's like the edge is probably gone from NBA DFS at that point. Cause nobody's having those spike hundred thousand dollar wins. You're, you're just having like, okay, you're winning, you know, a lot less money on, on the nights when you win. And if you're not winning the 100,000, like for, for 150 maxes, I guess, if you're not winning the 100,000 on the nights you win, it's really tough to maintain as, as a 150 maxer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, obviously the extreme there would be if the pendulum fully swings and like everybody's just playing the same stuff, then there's more of a benefit to being contrarian. And when, you know, that bust, but like, I, I don't think we're anywhere close to like that point. Um, okay. I do think that like the most difficult thing like imminently going forward is going to be just adjusting ownership projections to keep up with Sims. I think you're already seeing it where a lot of, regardless of, you know, what site you use, their ownership projections kind of are, you know, they're better than nothing, I guess, but like, they're not very good anymore. And I think a lot of it is just that Sims have completely changed the way people are playing on a large enough scale that um, especially we're seeing it. I know we saw it a lot during NFL with chalk where, chalk plays were just, you know, 60% owned instead of like 38 and, you know, like they were projected. And I think a lot of it is one of the big things that has really stood out when you do play around with, with Sims. Um, and I've found it interesting because it goes back to something that I've talked about a lot on shows in the past where, um, you know, people always focus on like individual player ownership, but a lot of it, all of it is your lineup ownerships. And like, if you have a 50% owned guy, you know, Kyle Anderson is the perfect example since I know he just got hurt. But like, if you, if he's 50% owned and you don't have him, that's not all you need to do to be different, but right. you're different right there. So like, you can still have quote unquote chalky guys, but you don't need to, you don't need to go as far off the board as I think people were going in previous years. And then now that you're using Sims more and more, that's just being like reinforced to people like, oh, I can play these really good plays and right. this is actually a good lineup. Cool. 
Yeah, it is funny. Like, I feel the same way. Like, I feel like people are, what the Sims have done is lead people to playing chalkier lineups. Like, I think people were trying too hard to get away from the chalk when the chalk is like, they just project really well. Like, there's a reason that they are the chalk, which I know we, we've talked about this a million times. Like, the chalk is the chalk for a reason. They're going to be good. But I think that people, uh, you know, you, you do want to get contrarian in spots, but I think people maybe overdid it a little bit. Um, and as you said, yeah, I think with the game changing so quickly, like it's not an insult to all the sites trying to do ownership projections to say ownership projections are just not very good right now because it's really hard when the game is changing as quickly as it is. It's not like for a while the game was pretty stagnant. You can get an idea of, you know, who's using what projections, how people are playing and ownership projections have been pretty good, but it's so much harder right now to do ownership projections. So yeah, if you can figure out how to, change your ownership projections get better at ownership projections i think that that is going to be a huge edge um one other thing that i when sims first came out i sort of thought maybe i will oh i guess when i started seeing all the dupes that resulted from the sims i kind of thought all right well that's awesome that's fewer lineups that you have to beat the more people are duping the fewer lineups you have to beat in the contest uh because that's taking away five five spots with one lineup so i was like that's awesome i'll just i bet my old process using up uh using an optimizer is going to work now and then one of my first slates back my best lineup was uh duped with somebody who i know was using the stochastic sim so i was like well shit like <laughs> if people are landing on the lineups that i got from optimizers by using the sims it's like man it's it's a tough game right now so i I am yep. I am concerned right now that like and 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 I've been moving on to uh, putting more of my money into other types of contests. Like I, I still I still love DFS, so I don't think I'm ever going to stop playing DFS. But like I've got to the point where I'm like, okay, my process right now is not working. I still think that I can probably beat the rake, be a profitable DFS player. But like I'm not nearly as confident as I was two three years ago that that was the case. Um, how how are you feeling these days? Like do do you still feel confident that you are a profitable dfs player in the current ecosystem yeah i, I don't really have i mean you always have doubts as a, especially as a tournament yeah. player because yeah. like most days you're losing and you can string those together pretty quickly so like you all i've never like been positive i'm a winning player um i, guess, I, I think yeah. i am like i'm having a good nba season uh i i'm really happy with like my nba process right now i, I love the way my lineups look i love the way like my Stuff. my my exposures overall look like i they're doing what conceptually i think they should so like i think that i'm good the thing that like for me this i'm so used to playing dfs with the content job that the only two times that i have played without it were when i first quit law school and i pretty quickly figured out like this sucks i don't want to do this like it, it's stressful and then even during that break i took over the summer um it got to where it was like okay like losing is wearing on me whereas it doesn't usually and so that is something that i've had to adjust to because like thinking about downside risk where i've never been good with bankroll management and on top of that i am really bad with like spending habits in real life so um and a lot of, so like a lot of my like biggest leaks were sort of mitigated by getting paid to do content right and now having to like think about downside risk more, that's the thing that's had me questioning what I do sort of DFS wise more because, you know, like betting, for example, um, I certainly don't think I have, I think I still have a bigger edge playing DFS than I do betting in terms of like, if I just had infinite money, where would I be in five years or a year or two or whatever? But like your median outcome from DFS is just like so 
bad on any given night. Uh, and that, that's one thing that like you can see in Sims too, is, you know, it's like, oh yeah, my median, you know, output tonight, I put in $700, I'm going to lose 350 and you're just going to do that every day. Right. Um, you know, and whereas, you know, betting, it's a lot smaller swings. So like, that's kind of where it's like, do I want to play smaller field stuff where like, I know the field is harder. I have less of an edge, but I can expect to win a tournament more than once or twice a year. Um, so that's kind of been the thinking for me. It's just sort of like, do I want to change what I'm playing? Do I want to play more difficult games? But ones that I like, I think I'm still profitable in, just not the same ROI necessarily, but, you know, smaller swings. Um, that, that's kind of been the question for me. But yeah, I still think I'm still pretty confident that I'm profitable. Um, obviously, NBA is, is difficult. I am having a good NBA season. Um, it's sort of funny. Like, obviously, I... I, I think I've always been good at NBA, but like NBA and MLB are the two sports that I, the two main sports that like I am profitable, but I was le less profitable than other sports that I didn't do content for. And I think part of it was just content um, and, you know, being sidetracked with that. But uh, so I am having a really good NBA season. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Like I'm happy with all, the way all my stuff looks. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I've had to think about it more from just a like, you know, how do you balance all of this? Because it is a, it is such a high variance game and, and, you know, actually treat it more like you're doing this professionally as opposed to like, I am very good at this, but also I can kind of not care because I have a bunch of other money coming in. Yeah. How, how do you test whether you are so, so, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll give my, uh, my thoughts is, uh, so last year was the first year ever. The first time I've ever checked my rotor tracker for a year, a month in, I had less than 1% of my lineups in the top 1%. Like that had never happened before. Like I've always had pretty good, like, you know, I'm like if I start doubting myself, I look at my roto tracker and I see 1.5% in the top 1%. And I'm like, okay, I'm still good at this. Last year was the first time I looked at it a month in and it was like, holy shit, I am less than 1% of my lineups in the top 1%. And I think part of that was like, I was playing a lot of like, at that point in the year, I wasn't playing NBA yet. I was playing primarily NFL showdown where it was like, yeah, if you're not if you're not winning, you're not in the top one percent. Um, but that was this year, the second year in a row. I looked at it uh, just a week or so ago, and I had like right at one percent in the top one percent. So I'm like, okay, I definitely and, and I think that was again mostly NFL showdown, uh, a little bit of NBA in there. Also, I haven't played a ton of DFS this year, so it's a pretty small sample size. But it's like to me, that is the number one thing that I'm monitoring for, like do I need to change things? Am I a profitable DFS player? And right now I'm like, I definitely, definitely need to change things. Uh, and then, and then we'll take from there. What, what do you check to see if you are currently good at like playing well in DFS? Yeah. I like the top 1%, 5%, 10%, um, you know, obviously, and also sort of, you know, looking at that curve because yeah, like, I don't necessarily think like, yeah, if I'm putting a bunch of teams in the top 1% and then the rest of my curve is, you know, sort of like this and it's like I'm in the 50th percentile or the first, I'm probably just yeah. running really hot on my good lineups. But, you know, seeing things, you know, basically go the way that they should uh, on those graphs is nice. I'll check sim ROIs on more than one sim um, because I think that that's it, – it's, it's information. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was saying to Josh earlier that, like, I think – it's it's another thing that like it's tough because I think like there are so many assumptions that go into Sims and if you're using publicly available ones they're not your assumptions they're not your projections when you're using uh, you know post contest stuff so I think it's important to not like chase 
having high sim ROIs in other people's stuff. But also, I think sort of like paying attention to like what your baseline was. And then maybe like if you made a change to your process, keeping a closer eye on like in these same things, like these same tools, am I going up or down um, from where I was? So um, like I, I definitely think that I'm really big on thinking about what I want my process to look like, what I want like my lineups and everything to look like, how I think they should look. And if I make changes and it's doing what I want it to do, I don't really care if whatever site is telling me that like my lineups aren't that good. Right. But if it was telling me my lineups were really good, then maybe I'll be a little bit concerned or at least double check that I'm getting exactly what I want. So I think it's sort of um, checking results, but also I'm just really big about kind of, I guess from a theory or like concept standpoint, thinking about like how I think things should look and then trying to get my process to replicate that. Have you ever in using publicly available Sims, have you ever run across the problem of like you're given a set of lineups and there's a player that you want to have 5% of, and it's just impossible to get there. Like they, they don't have, they're not represented enough in the lineups. That, that's something that I've sort of like, there are times when it's like, I want to make this assumption about this player being out. So I want to boost up this, this player, whatever. And, and then I end up uh, kind of having issues with, is that something that you have, ever struggled with or found a workaround for or is that just something you haven't dealt with yeah i mean it doesn't doesn't come up too often for me because i'm pretty comfortable with my late swap process so like generally even if i don't think somebody's gonna play i will just assume that they are or go with whatever the public is projecting because to me it's kind of like there, there are the way i view it is there are sort of two problems like you can say so like the other day paul george was questionable and it seemed like he probably wasn't going to play yeah um but every site had him projected in. And as a result, you know, Kawhi is projected for like 8% ownership or whatever. If you project the Clippers to not have Paul George. So this is like, I guess the perfect example, going back to no late swap too. With no late swap, if you want to project Paul George not to play, you can potentially get a really nice advantage there because you're going to get yeah. a lot of Kawhi, a lot of those guys, yeah. whereas the field's not. With late swap, if I do that, I'm going to end up with a ton of Clippers. And then if... George gets ruled out, the field is just going to late swap to those Clippers anyway. You know, maybe not quite to the, the point where they would have before lock, but like Kawhi's still going to end up 20, 25% on once Paul George is out. So the advantage to guessing right is a little bit lower. So uh, generally for me, I kind of usually uh, go with sort of what the field is projecting because I, I personally would rather just have to late swap around. I'm comfortable with that process compared to, um, oh, cool, I jammed in the Clippers because they were projected for 6% ownership and they're actually 20% owned because everybody late swapped. See, I, I, I think I take a different, I take the other approach of like, I'm going to work under this, like depending on the slate, it obviously really depends on the slate and like, what is the payoff if you play it right? Like there's a lot that goes into these decisions, but like I sometimes do do the decision of just like, all right, I think if, and I did on that slate, I was like, I think Paul George is going to be out. So I took him out of my player pool, boosted up uh, Kawhi and, James Harden and, and, and Norm Powell, I think. Um, and then, you know, still, still had to do, do late swap after Paul George was ruled out to, to factor in like who was starting actual projection stuff. Cause I don't do my own projection. So I'm just kind of guessing at what they will be projected at. Um, Cause I, I don't know. I feel like that is like the biggest edge in NBA is clearly late swap. And I want to have more of an edge than the field, I guess. Like, I feel like if you're just landing on, like if everybody's going to swap to them and they're going to be 
like i mean not, not always 25 like maybe, maybe some of them are going to be 25 maybe in that case Kawhi is going to be 25 but i still feel like frequently you will see i don't know ancillary players who benefit from it not getting any ownership so i do yeah. try to adjust ahead of time do you, do you do any of that kind of adjusting or do you just not really not not usually um i will say the paul george one was very borderline because like that seemed like he wasn't going to play so that one i actually did check before lock and i was i think Kawhi was projected they were both projected for like six or eight percent both uh george and Kawhi. i had like 20 percent of both of them and so I was like, okay, well, I'm already getting Kawhi, and I know I'm going to be able to swap a lot of that George to Kawhi if he gets ruled out. So I already had it. I think if it had been a situation where like I wasn't getting to either of them, I might have actually gone in and just, um, you know, bumped up Kawhi's projection and you know, like Powell's projection or something, um, because you can obviously swap back if you need to. But um, that that was kind of a borderline one where I was like, okay, I want to at least check and make sure that I have Clippers, yeah. whether it's you know George or Kawhi or whoever. Yeah, it's hard to to like make those decisions. Like I'm like I'm trying to fit together the perfect puzzle, like fit all the pieces together. So then it's like, well, that will include some of the early early pieces as well. So then like some people are like, well, just like make sure that if you play uh, Paul George, you also play somebody else, that you have the perfect amount, uh, you know, ha have enough left over to make the swaps necessary. But it's I don't know. Sometimes I, I just think it's like you're gonna hit a higher ceiling if you do guess it right where you get like the, the perfect puzzle pieces from the early games and the later i probably do it too much because you it's all unpredictable anyway but uh, i i tried to make those predictions ahead of time for the maximum edge but um yeah i definitely uh, i'm not sure that that is the, the best approach long term and uh yeah i i, I think it's uh, you're definitely not the only person that i've heard you know say that like i think it's a pretty common approach to take um yeah. I, I, I built out a lot of like late swap stuff this year that I didn't have before. Um, so that's one reason where I've been just happier to kind of say, okay, like, I think I would rather, you know, take this approach, but I, I think it's a very reasonable and I've definitely heard other good players say it. Okay. Glad, glad to hear that, that I'm not the only one thing. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I might be just wrong I mean, and you trying to rather be the only one. Good point. I would rather be the only one, but I also I like to. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what what the example is. Like you, you kind of want some other people to be like like with uh, NBA sh or NFL showdown. People say all the time like it's kind of a good thing if somebody else lands on your lineup, like just like one other person, because that probably means you're not crazy. Like you're not making two horrible lineups. In, in some ways, it's reassuring. In sports that I'm not confident in, um, showdown is a perfect example. I've never considered myself very good at showdown. Um, I've started playing NBA showdown a little bit lately and maybe have kind of figured some stuff out but like um i didn't even really play nfl showdown this year i don't think i'm good at it it's something that i never had really wanted to put the time into being good at either uh, but when i do play like if i'm duped like three times and it's with you know two guys that i know are really good i'm like oh cool i made a good lineup and in some ways it's just like it feels better than when i'm just looking at a lineup being like this lineup might be absolutely terrible and that's why nobody else played it yeah, exactly. It's just kind of reassuring, even though I know it's bad for my for my ROI, like just being, you know, if, if I have the same lineup as Ricky D in NFL Showdown, yeah. I'll feel pretty damn good about that. Um, with that said, you you say that you're, you're not confident you're good at NFL Showdown. There are people who call me the Showdown Shaman. I'm not sure if I had a single profitable slate this year. This is <laughs> easily my worst year of NFL Showdown. I was like, I felt like I know what I was doing. I felt like, you know, I wasn't that bad in my analysis and just got crushed, just did not work out ever for me. So uh, rough year there. Um. I guess we, we kind of already talked about the NFL landscape changing. Uh, let me ask you this: uh, what What is your if you're if you're comfortable talking about what is your biggest downswing ever in DFS in terms of either time or money or however you want to define your your biggest downswing? 
When do you think I, that was, or, or what do you think that was? I don't know for sure off the top of my head. I would guess like uh, between 100 and 150. I've had worse. I've had worse. So yeah. I, I think I've had a, I've, I've had a few hundred. I normally, luckily, uh, tend to hit right around like when it bottoms out. Um, but that, that's another one. Like, and I don't know. I've talked to you about this, and it goes back to what I was saying before with uh, bad bankroll management in general, but also um, just being being too comfortable probably with shot taking. Like, I, I'll go back at the end of a year and be like, oh, I had a decent DFS year, but I feel like it should have been so much better. Like, I won this tournament, I won that tournament. And I'll look, and it's like, oh, well, in the tournaments that you focus on, like, you know, the large field flagship stuff, you spend all your time working on those. You spend all your time working on that process. Like, you had a really, really good year. And then you gave back $75,000 playing, like, $2,500 millimakers and all that stuff where – Maybe I maybe I long term and profitable in those games. Maybe I'm not. I have no idea. I don't play them enough to know that. I do know that in terms of what has happened, I've gotten my ass kicked in any contest like that. So, you know, I, I get so mad at myself and I do it every year. Um, and it's always like and a lot of times like it's after big wins, too. And it, it's it, it sneaks up on you because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to you know take shots for like a week and then I'll go back to whatever. Yeah. And, you know, like right now I'm in a downswing and I went back. I'd, I had the, a huge night at the end of November. But like since then, not surprisingly, like my graph's gone down. But I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, man, like this is really bad. And then I was like, okay, what if I just look at like the 15 to $25 range, you know, stuff that I've played at least 50 entries in? And it's like, okay, it's going down, but it's kind of like, you know, like a flat, just very manageable swing. And then it's like, okay, what if I just narrow that to NBA, like that tournament in NBA where like I know I'm good? And that's you know even flatter and then it's like okay well where am i losing my money and it's just like oh well you're getting your ass kicked in other sports that you may or may not even be good at and you're getting your ass kicked because you made 125k on saturday and decided to play 40k on sunday right. and had a normal day which means you lost 20k like yeah that's right. that's where your money went like you're an idiot <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm the exact same way uh, and i've i've had the, the same issue with like okay i Almost all of my success has been in large field GPPs. Like I, I have, I've won a couple high stakes tournaments, but like uh, my my second best year in DFS, I looked at my winnings and I was like, okay, I had a really good year. And then it was like, oh, and I lost two hundred and fifty thousand playing high stakes, which I've never been that good at. Why the fuck did I play two hundred fifty thousand worth of high stakes? So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna remove high stakes from my. I'm not gonna play it at all next year. And I'm going to crush and I'm going to, and then of course the next year I just didn't do nearly as well in the, the stuff that I'm good at the, the large field GPPs. So didn't yeah. actually work out that I just remove high stakes and suddenly problem solved or not, not really a problem at that point, but like, uh, didn't, didn't help me as much as I thought it would, but yeah, I've definitely been in that boat. It's like such a weird, it's, it's almost like a dilemma where I think to be successful at this in general, like you have to have a lot of self-confidence and cause especially if you're playing tournaments, you're, you're just going to go through no matter how good you are you're going to go through downswings and you just have to have a lot of self-confidence and, and belief but like you also have to stop that from turning into like delusion that math doesn't apply to you like right. you can't just like look and be like oh well i'm me and so i'm just probably going to win this tournament today like no you're not and it's i don't know it's been eight years and i still haven't gotten that through my head yeah I'm, i've started to get it through my head i've definitely uh definitely lost some of my like my mojo of like yeah i'm, I'm gonna crush i'm gonna i'm gonna win for sure tomorrow tomorrow's my day you know was, right. i used to be very confident that like just around the corner now i'm like maybe i should focus more on best ball you know uh so that's uh yeah we'll, we'll see um 
you've brought up bankroll management a couple times and you tweeted about bankroll management today. Uh, I like, I feel like you want to talk about, I feel like we should talk about bankroll management and also I suck at bankroll management. You suck at bankroll management. Should we talk about it? Is there, is there anything worth talking about? Do you, do you have thoughts? Do you have uh, <laughs> I mean, adjustments that you're making? I, I don't have anything intelligent to say. I think I've made it clear that Me I neither. suck at it, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it, it, in general, it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, I think it's very difficult. Like, there's not a blueprint for it in DFS. Like in poker, there there is like games where, you know, betting poker games where I think obviously there's still variance and volatility and all of that. Um, but like in like in DFS tournaments, like it's it's not talked about. But and, and I sort of said this back when I started pretty heavily playing 50 lineups instead of 150. Um, it was like realistically, you need so much money to just be playing to be losing on average, like $1,100 a day in that tournament. Yeah. And I was just like, look, you know, I, I get it. Like I, I'm a, I, if I had infinite money, I should be playing 150 lineups, but like, I'm still getting 50 good lineups in there and I can cut these hundred K plus downswings into like 30 K. Um, you know, it, if I were to cut out the high stakes shit too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's to me, that's just like the interesting thing. Like, I absolutely, there's really no excuse over the last eight years that I haven't done more to figure it out or cared more about figuring it out or learned my lesson at any the, point. The excuse is that you've been doing well. So like you haven't really needed. But I've had going, like, right? I've had enough swings where like, as that's they're going on, I'm like, I never want to feel this way again. And then I win yeah. something. I'm like, Hey, that's not gonna happen again. Right. And then it's gonna happen again. Um, so like, there's no excuse for any of that, but like, I wish there's like, just more conversation about like, I know there's people smarter than me that like can sim out. I know like uh, Nelson Adcox has done it on, on Twitter. I think like if you're playing this tournament and you have this edge in this tournament, you're still going to lose this much money X amount of the time. Yeah. And you know, for me again, like I'll look at that and still part like half my brain is just like, not, <laughs> That's not me though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, just, you know, I wish stuff like that was more forefront and, you know, just, yeah, because, like, it is a really important part. Like, it's, I, I said it on Twitter today. I, I think that, like, I, I think it's absolutely the thing that is like, kept me from going from, like, pretty good at DFS to, like, really good at DFS. Or, like, thought of as really good at DFS is, like, just never really moving up in stakes because I would always do it too quickly and just yeah. blow through it. Right. And if you don't get hot right away... Right, like you, you're in trouble if you don't get hot right away in those higher stakes. Um, I see a lot of people, a lot of familiar names in chat, and I really appreciate you all being here. I'm, I'm intentionally not calling out like doing a back and forth with chat because this is I'm trying to make it more of a podcast. So trying to only comment on the things that are like relevant to, to the discussion. Continuing what we're talking about, um, Dan Strafford does say there is a 100% a blueprint for bankroll management. Never risk what you can't lose. Um, that is good advice. And I think Adam and I both understand that there is a blueprint for bankroll management. There is a good way to do this. And we have just both been too cocky to adjust our strategies to Dan is like, also trolling because that sentence actually doesn't mean anything. Um, don't don't play we can't lose. Okay, that, that is also true. All right, Dan. Dan's always trolling. Just just get back to your reading off lyrics, Dan. Um all right, yeah, I I don't have anything else intelligent to say about bankroll management, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to chat at this point. If any of you have any questions for Adam that you really want answered, um, I will I will ask him those questions. Um, 
some of them. I mean, th there are questions that I might not ask, certain questions that people might want to hear you talk about. I might not ask those questions, uh, but I am happy to answer some of your questions. Um, Jewish McCaffrey says, curious what Adam thinks is the minimum bankroll needed to play DFS full time. I mean, it depends on your bills and cost of living. Um, and obviously your edge, like, and I'm not going to pretend like I know the math to give you an actual answer. Um, but I mean, that, that's the big thing is I think, and it's what I've, you know, I'm thinking about more is I've always thought about it in terms of like, if I play this much, you know, if my ROI is some, my expected ROI is somewhere in this range and I play this much volume per day, like I'm making this much money per day. Um, but then also you have to keep in mind the you can just string together losing day, losing day, losing day, losing day. And like if you're playing tournaments that, you know, I'm making $400 a day because I'm playing, you know, $2,000 a day and I have a 20% ROI or whatever. It's really, yeah, when I hit that one tournament, it's paying back all those losing days. But you have to survive those days. So uh, obviously it depends on your bills and how good you are. There's no like clear cut answer. Um, I will say when I quit law school, I think I had like 20K. And that was the stupidest decision I've ever made, which I learned like, I got, I got so lucky. Like I quit on a, I don't know, Monday, I won a hundred K for the first time on Friday <laughs> and then blew that hundred K so quick. And part of it was, you know, I lost like 30 K chasing winner take all qualifiers, um, oh, by final qualifiers. The worst, so, yeah. uh, you know, again, obviously I was doing that. I was probably playing like the one K tournaments and stuff, but you know, it was, I was just like, wow, I basically lost a hundred K and like, three months and i quit school four months ago thinking that like 20k was just a limitless amount of money basically <laughs> i mean I've, I've been there i definitely understand that feeling of 20k uh speaking of which uh how, how is your sweat going is it over for the nba uh, yeah it that? looks like i finished in third which i will take how much is how much do you win for third uh 10k okay so 10 10 of first i assume that is not yeah, bad. yeah. The, the standard 100k 30k 10k Okay, that is that is not bad. Congrats on making back more than your casino losses from last night. I, I saw. Uh, I won't uh, the casino. I lost at everything else. Oh, okay, okay. I saw Aha uh -huh, Bro in chat say, "Grats on the ten Gs." So, and then I saw uh, Jack said, "Hundred K." So I was I was confused about uh, what been. what was actually going on, um, and if if it was over. But uh, yeah, congrats on the third place. We will take it. Speaking of, uh, so I I tweeted out the. Um, the uh, thumbnail for this Twitter was saying that you didn't tweet out when you won $100,000. Uh, and I distinctly remember a few years ago, you winning $100,000 and not tweeting it out. Uh, you disputed that. You, you were like, that's never happened. I've always tweeted out six figures. Um, so may, may, it could have been a $50,000 win that you tweeted out that I uh, did not remember. But I, I am curious your take on like screenshots in general. Like I would say that I'm generally a pro screenshot person, like within limits. Like I, I like to see people succeed. It's fun to see people succeed, particularly if they haven't had a, you know, if they've been on a downswing. I love seeing like a screenshot that's like, look, I got out of my, my uh, downswing. But then of course it does get obnoxious for like, there are times when it gets obnoxious. Like just, it's overkill. We don't need to see five screenshots a week, whatever. W what is your distinction for yourself when you decide, yes, I'm going to tweet out this screenshot versus not tweet out a screenshot? Yeah, I mean, I, the obvious caveat is it's who cares. Like who cares? Like whatever yeah, you want to do. Um, for me, like I always viewed it, I, I always kind of tried to think about when I was starting out. And if I saw people just tweeting like screenshots constantly, I would just not trust them because I had the general idea that, you know, people aren't winning money every day. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you're doing it, like when people are doing it, like pretending they win all the time, you know, I 
generally wouldn't trust that. For me, I always just, I, I do it like when I feel like it. Like I, I don't think I've ever not tweeted a six figure win. It's possible okay. that I did. I don't know. Maybe I was humble for a day, but um <laughs> And got rid of that. I, I actually think the opposite of humble. I think you got super cocky. Like you were winning a lot and you were like, fuck it. I'm so good. I don't need to tweet out this six figure <sighs> uh, screenshot. People are going to see it anyway. That That is the more likely reasoning, I think. Yeah. Um, then I woke up one day like, yeah. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine that. But like for me, normally I'll tweet them out. Like I think I always tweet my six figure ones. Um, I might have, I might have not tweeted a 50K. You might be right about that. Um, but like, I'll tweet them if like something cool happens too. Like I know I tweeted one a couple years ago in NFL. First place was like seventy five hundred, but it was a three max, and I got first, second, and third. I was like, I don't think I've ever done this before. That's cool. Um, or like I know I tweeted like a twenty k the other like last month um, because I won by like fifteen points, and I was like, right. I don't think I've done that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Or like, and one thing for me too. And again, this is where obviously it's all personal and whatever like you want to do. There's no right answer. Like I've always been pretty transparent on Twitter. Not necessarily with like dollar amounts of how much I'm stuck, but when I'm losing, I think people generally know when I'm losing. So right. I'm not going to then be like, yes, I won this tournament for 5K. Like, look at me when right. I just told everybody I'm down 80K in the last two months. So, um, you know, that that's always been a thing for me. But also at the same time, like if I'm really going through it and like I've been transparent about that, it'll feel good to win 20K. Like, yeah, I'm not unstuck, but like holy shit, I won something. Like, this feels good. Like, I yeah. can breathe kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's always kind of been more about, like, a personal feel. Like, I've always tried to kind of be relatively transparent on on Twitter, you know, whether I'm winning, losing, whatever it may be. Uh, so it's kind of always been that. But, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I feel, I feel like you're big on authenticity. Like you, you are very much yourself. You're an authentic person. And, and I also, like, it rubs me the wrong way when people strike me as inauthentic. And I think that, like, it's, I think it's probably the same thing for a lot of people. Like if, if I know somebody has been losing at DFS, like losing their ass and then they tweet out a screenshot and the message is I continue to fucking kill it. Like that bothers me as opposed to if you tweet out the screenshot and say "Phew, relief, like then it's like, that's cool. But like, if you're like being inauthentic with your screenshots, then it's like that, that bothers me. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, and, and so, and you were saying it too, and it's something I kind of actually, I, I don't know if I've ever been on like enough of a hot streak that I've actually had to be cognizant of it, but like it can get really, 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 I find it sometimes really difficult mentally when, because like you follow, you know, so many people in this industry, you follow them all on Twitter. Somebody is winning something most nights that right. you follow. And so you get on Twitter and it's like, Oh, I want hundred K. I want 50 K. And I'm sitting here like, cool. I fucking lost again. Like right. this sucks. So I try and be like cognizant of that too. Um, I know like FJ Bourne one time had like a massive NFL day and tweeted out his NFL season where he went, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think he might've been stuck like 300 K and then he yeah, got, he does this a lot. Even. Yeah, yeah. He got like back to even. And like, it made me feel, cause I was going through a pretty big swing at the time too. And it made me feel good because like, you're obviously not paying attention to like which of these people are winning, which are losing. So when I see him win, I'm just like, oh, cool. This guy won another 300K. All he does is win because right. I had no idea that he's down 300K in the last two months. Right. Um, so to me, like that's something that I, that, that's why I kind of always try and whether I'm showing graphs or not, you know, at least like be relatively like authentic or transparent on Twitter with that too, is if I'm going to be putting out, you know, oh, I won 100K today. Oh, I won 30, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. I don't, want it to come off as like oh yeah this is all i do you know because it's right. just complete bullshit yeah that's that's fair um 
uh sack asked will you be joining neil in the best ball streets this summer will you be doing i assume you you, you've played best ball for the past i I feel like at least as long as i have the past three or four years yeah yeah i've been playing a lot i don't i doubt i'll do content but i'll play maybe maybe you'll join me for a draft or two yeah yeah yeah, i'm sure i'll do that cool cool. um that would be fun yeah yeah, sports wizard chat said too uh ultimately your ego is why you're posting yeah without a doubt um that kind of goes back to what i was saying like ultimately if i post a screenshot it's because i i want to like um, I, it, it's hard. It's tough mentally to play tournaments and lose every day. Like it feels good to win. And knowing that I have a following on Twitter, whether they actually care if I'm winning or not, probably not. But like knowing I have a following, it's like, yeah, it feels good to be like, Hey, I actually won something today. It's also worth mentioning. Like if you are doing content, like you're pretty incentivized to post those screens. Oh, yeah. So like, I kind of get it. Like if, if somebody like, yeah, you, you post it for credibility because people like you, you gain followers when you post a big screenshot, you, you, if you're working for a site, your site gains potential subscribers as a result. So like there is different incentive if you are doing content, um, that maybe you don't have to consider if you're, if you're not a content creator, uh, Braden asks, do you make your own projections? And if so, what's the most important metric to consider besides minutes for NBA? I assume. I don't. Um, it's kind of on my list of things to work on. I, I go back and forth. I personally go back and forth. Like I said before, like I understand how projections work. I think the learning curve for me is probably shorter than like some people and yeah. longer than others. Uh, but my thought process has generally been that publicly available projections are good enough that I would, I'm not going to build anything like substantially better, most likely. Uh, you could certainly make the case that like they would at least be different. And as long as they're similar in accuracy, then, you know, I'm not going to be overlapping with the field as much, which I think is a valid point. But um, I have enough, like I, I've, I've built my process using, you know, publicly available stuff. So I can kind of mitigate those concerns. So um, I don't use my own. It is sort of on my list of things to do. Um, I talked to you about it. One thing that kind of just thinking about like what DFS is going to look like going forward and where potential edges could be, you know, we talked about how Sims are going to make things harder. I, I would kind of like to start building my own stuff and just be prepared for, I don't think publicly publicly available projections will ever become bad. You know, at least from like main content sites. Um, I don't think you're going to start getting like, Oh, this guy's projected for 28 minutes when he's going to play four or anything like that. But as the emphasis like shifts to betting and shifts to other stuff, and I I do think I've said this before that I think ultimately as once it becomes legal in more states, you're gonna start seeing like peer-to-peer betting games that are sort of in the same format or a similar format as DFS, kind of like pick six from DraftKings. Like I think that's yep. kind of the future. And as stuff like that becomes bigger, DFS probably does become a little bit de-emphasized to where I still think it's going to be good projections. Like these models are already built and all of that, but like maybe instead of a projections, you're getting like B plus projections. And then it's like, okay, if I can still make a level projections, now I actually have an edge in projections that I don't think you can really get right now, or at least I can't get, you know, people smarter and better at math than me probably can. But um, like right now, I don't think I can get an edge that way. I think potentially in the future you could, but then it's also like, how small are the prize pools at that point? Yeah, I've definitely, it's something that I, so I've never made my own projections. I used to think that I would one day and then I, I started using um, Awesome's projections and I was like, well, these are these are so good that like uh, I don't need to do my own. Like it would take me so long to try to even compete with these. And now I'm back to like, well, now everybody's using 
sims like everything's gotten so advanced that maybe if i can get different by doing my own projections like maybe i will see things a little bit differently than what the people uploading minutes and and projections etc are doing and maybe it would be good for me so i don't know it's, it's something that i have considered uh but also haven't gotten that far into it and then and uh josh said this earlier and i know you, you've said the same thing to me like chat gpt really helpful if, if you're trying to learn how to do this stuff uh i feel like chat gpt will like the learning curve is uh going to be a little bit easier for those of us who are trying to learn these things yeah i, I tweeted something like that because that's so over the so like i said i have no programming knowledge um over the summer i built bare bones you know pretty shitty sims but like they were good enough for what i wanted to do and i tweeted like i almost feel bad for to some extent for like people that did all the right things and like put themselves in the position to like be really good at programming and spent all those years. And then it's just like AI is making it so easy to catch up. And, and somebody pointed out, like, you're not going to catch up to, you know, what I know with chat GPT, which absolutely you're not. But like the fact that I can go from, I don't even understand how Python works to, I built a SIM with Python in like 24 hours Right. that, you know, functions. Yes. It's not as good as anybody's, but like, the fact that like you can do that and i don't i don't have a background at all like th and that those ai stuff's just going to get better like it's crazy but the thing that i do like is and it sort of i had a conversation with draft sheet like i don't know probably 2016 2017 i don't think i was even using like fantasy country yet and i remember it cuz it was before baseball season and he was he said something along the lines of like thinking in terms of like asking questions and then figuring out the answers to them to try and like, this is back when we were still of the opinion that, you know, if you could, I think like pitch type data was just starting. And like, if you could find ways to like utilize that, you could create an edge and all of that, which I think mostly ended up not really being the case. But uh, anyway, he sort of said something like that. And I was like, okay, like the thought process makes sense. But even if I think of like a question that I want answered, I, I don't know how to build anything to get the answer that I want. Right. And now it's, you know, I, I don't remember what I was doing the other day anymore, but it was like, I had a question. It was a pretty simple task, but it was like, it would be nice if I could just like automate this or I would like to do this. And I was like, I just like, does, is what I'm, does what I'm thinking like sort of make sense? Is this a reasonable approach? And it's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, like how would I go about this? And it like lays it out. And I, within two hours had the relatively basic thing, you know, that I was trying to build. Whereas if I had to just Google it, like I would have never gotten the answer because yeah. you're just reading static articles. Right. Just going to take you for forever. Yeah, definitely a big, big advantage. Um, I just uh, tried scrolling a little bit in chat and realized that I'm way further behind than I realize I am in chat. Uh, we So we, we might not get to every question, but I'll try to get to a few more. Adam, how, how are you doing? Like, are you, we've been on for nearly an hour and a half. I don't know. We, we didn't really talk about timing for this. I know you only slept two hours. Yeah. Uh, I'm wide awake. I've been chugging coffee. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm, we I'm actually going to definitely regret doing that because, like, I am wide awake now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, I'll, maybe I'll pass out, you know, from yeah. from drinking here because I'll just keep refilling. Um, no, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep asking. I'll keep answering uh, asking questions that people have in chat. Uh, Sportswiz asks serious question: How long do you think DFS will be around? A while. Like, I don't I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, to me. Obviously, betting becoming legal, you know, ma more mainstream cuts into people playing DFS. You know, people yeah. were playing DFS just because they wanted some sort of sports betting esque sweat. You're still not like, yeah, obviously, you can make a 28 leg parlay that wins you 100K. 
But that, oh shit, I just won $100,000 doesn't exist in sports betting. True. So I think that you're still just always going to have tournaments. I think that the problem is there's no incentive for the sites to do anything that makes them like not massive roller coaster rides for people that play them regularly. Like we're never going back. I'm not even like an advocate really of the flat payout, you know, the 10%, the poker payout, like 10% the first, like that would be nice if they like always did that, you know, uh, 10% of the prize pool to first, 10% of that to 10th, like, you know, poker tournaments used to do. If they always did that, it would be fine. But like DraftKings sort of like a year or two ago tried that out where they would run it on some days. And it was like, can you stop this? Because it's already hard enough to win a tournament. I don't want to win the day where it's 20 K to first. I need right. the 100 K to first. Um, so you're, I don't think we're ever getting back to like the 2016, you know, oh yeah, I min cashed a bunch of lineups and three X. Like right. you're not getting that. So like the sustainability part, I think is always going to be a struggle. And obviously games are going to get more difficult because the public's going to get sharper. The, you know, uh, casual player pools going to shrink, all of that. Um, but I think it's still going to be around with decent sized prize pools, uh, at least for a, you know, a while. My guess is that when you start seeing that go away, if you start seeing that go away, will be basically just it being replaced by the pick six esque type stuff where, you know, it's instead of Anthony Edwards is $8,700, Anthony Edwards over nine point or over, you know, 29 points is, x salary or whatever and right. you know some sort of structure like that interesting yeah like a, a different multiplier for the payout whatever. yeah something something like, I, I don't even remember how pick six works it was legal in maryland for i think like four days um yeah i mean but, it, it's just okay. an over under right now but then like you get paid out more based on fewer right. people getting six out of six whatever right um, as like, yeah, aside, there's gonna be some sort of format where there's a game theory component like there is in pick six where uh you know if you pick stuff that maybe is a little bit less likely to hit you get paid off better when it does. Uh, maybe there's you know a salary cap. Maybe there's not. Maybe there's some other mechanism to create lineups or whatever. I think that's ultimately where things go because people would rather say, oh, over Anthony Edwards points than, oh, Anthony Edwards is projected for fifty point two DraftKings points. Like, I think you know it's it, it's going to get more like crossover appeal once you can go that route. As an aside, uh, while preparing for this, when I was making the thumbnail, I don't know if you know this, your, your thumbnail for this video was from uh, the theory of DFS. I found, I, I watched that and I ended up listening to the entire episode once again, because it was a really, really great cover. I highly recommend Adam's episode of theory of DFS with, with Jordan Cooper. Uh, but when did I do that? Was that like COVID? It's like, I think it was, I think it was like three years ago, like right okay. peak COVID. It was before I took over as the regular co-host. Uh, so Actually, yeah, yeah. No, that was, I think it might've been, Maybe it was a little after COVID because I actually think I remember doing it in my old apartment. Um, I, yeah. I think I did like a some podcast with like Dean during COVID because I remember being at my mom's house. Too. You actually you referenced it on the show, and I don't think that I've okay. heard that that episode with Dean. So maybe I'll go back and find that. But it, it was a I highly recommend that episode. But what I was going to say is Blender basically predicted pick, pick six. He was like, "Yeah, there's probably going to be it's probably going to move to peer to peer sports betting." Like, yeah. and I was like, "Holy shit, yeah, hundred percent right." Just just three years later, um, uh, Jack Jackoff. Jackoff asks, uh, Q for ship, does he bet props at all? Yeah. So that's something I've been doing a lot more. Um, I sort of had started getting into it in, I don't know, like December, but I just never, I, I don't like jumping into things that I'm not going to have time or want to put the effort into like understanding what I'm doing. 
uh, it burns me a lot. Like I, I, you know, knew about Bitcoin very early, just didn't buy it. Uh, so stuff did we like all. that. We all did. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like this whole, everybody in this industry knew about it. Some people just put their money down and others didn't. And I was yeah. one that didn't. Um, so like it, it's burned me before, but that was kind of the thing is like, I didn't, I didn't jump into it as soon as Maryland got it because all my time energy was focused on DFS. That's what I was doing content wise. That's what I was doing money wise. Um, so I've, I've started doing it a little bit more. Uh, it's still definitely something where, like I, I've had success with it. There's, you know, I, I'm, I'm limited some places. I still am not totally limited other places. Um, I'm still able to get enough volume down that I like it's worth my time. But like, it's definitely something where now I'm like, okay, I understand, you know, like, obviously I always understood what prop betting was, but like now, now I'm at the point where like, okay, I need to actually, I know there's more to sports betting that I don't know. And I should probably actually like start figuring out strategies, like ways that I can make more money than I'm making right now by just, you know, betting props. Um, but yeah, I've, I've gotten into it more. That was definitely something that, um, was on my short list of like, Oh, okay. I'm not doing DFS content all day. Now I'm going to start doing more of this. Right. Another way to make money. Yeah. We, we can't in Minnesota. So hopefully down the line, I'll join you there. Uh, Julio asks, do you still use randomness when building lineups in fantasy cruncher? Now that you use Sims, he says using randomness is a small way of running a Sim. Uh, do, do you, do you build with FC at all these days? No, um, okay. I don't. Uh, it is a, essentially a way of using a sim so right. before the sims came out i i don't remember exactly what i was doing or what my process was but um i do know that for essentially like optimal percentage which was some part of my process um i would use like you know three standard deviations of randomness essentially whatever that equated to for each player in yeah. fantasy cruncher and then that was their optimal you know that's what i would call their optimal percentage okay um could be Travis wants to know what is the most money you ever spent in a gentleman's club? Uh, 15,000. <laughs> Jesus. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, for, it was a friend's birthday a couple years I think ago. You might have told me this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I don't, were you in Chicago for the awesome? No, it was a week, it was a week before I was hired there. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if I told the story or not, but, uh, we were having a meetup, like, first time most of us, like, met each other. We're supposed to get in there on Saturday. We're going to go to a Cubs game and we go out Friday night. It's like my best friend's birthday. We go to Top Golf, me, him, group of friends. We go to a strip club in Virginia. I don't do anything stupid. Like nothing bad happens. Um, all the friends leave except for me and my friend. And we were staying down in that area. And this girl that I had actually like gone to a Nats game with like the week before bartends at a strip club on Capitol Hill. And so I texted her. She said she was working. She was like, I'll save you a table. Just come in, like grab a drink, get last call. It's like, okay, so we do that. Then I didn't want to leave at last call. And I knew from a previous time being there that, you know, I could just get a VIP room. And so obviously already drunk at this point, do that. Uh, so she comes up, two other girls come up. We're there till like eight in the morning. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, just. Yeah, 15 grand uh texted one of the people that had put together the company trip like hey i'm actually not going to get until sunday this is like you know 7 38 in the morning um hey i'm actually not going to get until sunday because my flight's at noon and i'm just now leaving the strip club so i will be there tomorrow <laughs> so i've never been in a vip room at a strip club i assume it's like you play like chess monopoly like um do you want to you want to tell us what happens in those eight hours in the vip room I kind of wish I remembered. I, I remember <laughs> I knew I knew it was bad when 
you know, I, I they did last call, and then I tried to get you know drinks up there, and they're like, you know, we can't serve alcohol, and just kind of lose track of time. And then the like manager, or whatever comes in, he's like, it's six now, so if you want a bottle of champagne, they're like, yeah, like sure. <laughs> and then he comes in like he comes in a half hour later. He's like, how do you want your steak cooked? <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna make he's I'm gonna make like steak and eggs. Like, how do you want them cooked? I'm like, oh man, I've been here way too long. <laughs> that sounds like a not the worst not the worst thing to get steak and eggs in the morning um related related i think uh jeremy q kin asks when are you gonna get a girlfriend uh, you, don't, you don't need to answer that question yeah good good question <laughs> need, uh, need, need to win a couple tournaments and uh probably stop spending 15k in strip clubs uh steven lewitz asks adam when talking about using the sims and then fine-tuning how much of that is game theory tweaks how much is basketball acumen uh hang on i'm trying to find that question because I didn't really hear what you said. I said, uh, when talking about, it, it is up a little ways as well. When talk, it's at 9.23 p.m. My time, maybe 10.23 if you, you're maybe on uh, East Coast time. When talking about using The Sims and then fine tuning, how much of that is game theory tweaks? How much is basketball acumen? Um, uh, it's all game, I mean, game theory type stuff. Um, none of it's, none of it's like basketball specific. It's just more, uh, is this doing what I want it to do? Um, do I have, you know, with, like, obviously I don't want it to, I, I don't mean that in the sense of like, is this giving me a lot of Steph Curry? I want Steph Curry. Um, I mean it in the sense of, um, you know, like the other day I looked and I, the day that Taylor Hendricks, who was just in my lineup that came in third at low ownership, uh, when he was like 30% owned or whatever, I had like 4%. And I'm like, okay, why do I have 4%? Like clearly he was a good play. And then I look and I just had like a bunch of other 4K guys that were like 4% owned at like 12, 15% instead of him. I'm like, okay, like I'm cool with that. Um, so like stuff like that where I'm like, I think that's actually a good idea. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tweak to kind of like try and, you know, make things like that happen. Like make sure that my lineups look the way that I think they should, that my player pools look the way I think they should. Uh, it's not like player specific or anything. Right. Okay. Uh, BP Colonia says, came into the show thinking I was full dead with 100% ant, somehow ended with the bink. That is why some people call you the closer, BP Colonia. Congrats. Uh, dude just wins every night. Um, let's see. Uh, Kurt says he may have just been my 1,000 subscriber uh, just like two hours ago. My brother asked me if he can get to 1,000 subscribers by the end of the week. So that is, that's very exciting if, if you were my 1,000 subscriber on the channel. Really nice. helps having uh, Adam on the show. Um, let's see. A lot of a lot of people want to talk about screenshots. Um, let's see. There were there were a lot of comments, so I'm I'm having to scroll for actual questions. Um, what about tagging? Dan says, "What about tagging a show they host?" Oh, does he mean like if people do screenshots? Oh, tagging a show they host. I don't know. I don't, I don't, we're, we're too far beyond that part of the conversation that I'm not sure what he was talking about. Um, man, there is, uh, this is, this is really uh, bad listening for anybody listening on podcast. I'm just scrolling through trying to find questions. There's a lot of responses to what we're talking about, but not actual questions. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. There, man, it keeps going. It keeps going. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Um, I think that we are quickly getting to the end of the questions. 
Uh, although every time I scroll, I just, I, it keeps on being more and more questions. Oh, wait, here's a question. Okay. Justin Kelly asks, uh, seems to me the $4.150 max with 100K up top on DraftKings could become the norm thoughts on the $4.100K to first on DraftKings. Do you think that will become the norm? Um, I mean, so I've never understood why it wasn't the norm in the sense that I think they could just run it every day or maybe not 100K at first, but you know, like 25K, 30K. Like they could, I think, run a 150 max $4 with a good first place prize every day, still run the $15, 100K to first. Like I don't think you're cannibalizing too much. Like most of the people 150 maxing the 15 are going to 150 max the four. You're going to get your you know, more casual players that are willing to play the four that aren't going to play the 15. So I've never really understood why they don't both exist. I know that um, I had actually mentioned it in like a, on a DraftKings call, uh, I think maybe during baseball season, they started doing it like a $3, 150 max. I think it might've been like 15 K at first or something. And they were just running that alongside the $15 and then it just went away. So I don't know what, why it went away. I think it was filling, but um, so yes and no, like, I don't think they're going to just, completely destroy the mid-range like it's already and my point when i kind of was advocating for like a tournament in this price range is it's very very difficult like i think one of the things one of the bigger differences uh between dfs and poker was it can be really difficult to move up in stakes in dfs because like there's such big gaps and when you don't have any sort of like three or four dollar 150 max like going from you know, 150 maxing, I guess the mini max to 150 maxing the $15. And like, yeah, they have the $5, 5k to first, $8, 5k to first, but like one, those are really difficult tournaments relatively. And two, it's 5k to first or maybe 10k to first. That's totally different. Um, there it's, it's really difficult. I think to move up Whereas you know, in poker, it's just like, yeah, you go from 51 to one, two to two, four to three, six, whatever. Uh, so that was like, from a stepping stone standpoint, I didn't really understand why the smaller buy-in doesn't exist, but then you get the same issue. If you just remove that mid-range and say, well, there's no real $15, 100K at first anymore, what are you just going eventually from the $4 to like the $800? Right, an even bigger step up at that right. point. Like that's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough spot that they're in. Like, I kind of feel like a happy medium, like maybe an $8, uh, 150 max, 100K to first. I don't know. I feel like there's there's a happy medium somewhere in there, but um. I'm sure they're they're doing analysis of of what works, what's going to sell. But yeah. yeah, I would be. Yeah, I mean, that's always the thing too. Is you know, like obviously, I'm talking with no actual information. Right. We other know than that like, they're yeah, yeah. Other than like, I mean, I'm like literally just going on things like yesterday when they ran the four dollar hundred k to first. I woke up at like one p.m. and was one of the last people able to enter the fifteen dollar twenty k to first because it was already full. Right. You know, so it's like okay, well, clearly, I don't think you're going to have much issue selling this out. Uh, so Steven asked a question that I was I was going to uh, get to this question regardless, because I feel like everybody wants to know, like everybody kind of misses you in the content streets. What's next? Are, are you going to be doing content again at some point? Do you do you think, are you open to doing content again at some point? Yeah, definitely open to it. Um, I, I don't know. Like there's part of me that wants to just like do something because like I'm already bored. Um, right. And, you know, I, I do... I, I enjoy doing shows. I enjoy talking about it. Uh, it's not like 
a passion necessarily, but like I, I enjoy it. Like I have fun with it. Um, it's something to do. I, I do enjoy, you know, the community and all that. So um, I think I'll probably in some capacity do it again. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I don't know if it's kind of like, I don't think, you know, people have asked a lot if I'm going to like start my own thing and I don't know, maybe, but like, I don't think I would start anything like huge. Maybe it would just be like, Hey, like I'm going to do this thing. It's not going to be big, but uh, it's going to be, you know, the way I want to do it. It's going to be, you know, how I do it. And it's going to be whatever, like I'll have a community, it'll pay me a little bit and whatever, uh, it'll entertain me. Um, you know, so if I were to do my own thing, I think it looks more like that probably than me just, you know, grabbing three other names and being like, Hey, we're starting another site. Um, right. yeah. Or, you know, just jumping on, you know, if other people want me to like, uh, yeah, like I I'm open to everything. I don't have like a perfect, you know, answer for, what i want or what i intend to do um i don't have anything like super imminent um there is the potential that i have a little bit of an announcement like later this week next week for um something betting based so okay. keep an eye out for that if you're interested but uh yeah nothing like super imminent or huge but um yeah i assume i'll be back doing something at some point yeah sounds like you're sort of similar to me in some ways like yeah i enjoy doing it not sure exactly what you're doing but uh yeah, I know. I know. I can speak for the audience. Like, we we would love to see you land somewhere and, and do regular DFS content again because it has always been fantastic. Um, uh, Jewish McCaffrey again asked, uh, "Does any does Adam have any thoughts on Utica winning another? Was there a Millie maker today? Did Utica win another? Um, okay. I don't know what he's referring to, but um, I, I'm actually I'm usually pretty happy for him when he wins. Like there's always that like tinge of jealousy when sure. anybody that isn't me wins. Um, but I have hung out with him before at a live final back in like 2016. Uh, we hung out, got along well. Um, he's actually a pretty cool guy. Like, uh, so I actually don't have that much trouble being happy for him when he wins. Nice. Um, AJ asks the best single piece of advice for a DFS player moving forward under the current DFS landscape. Do you have a single piece of advice? I mean, speaking from my experience, like be smarter with managing your money than I ever have been. Um, like it, it really is. You can be the best and I'm not referring to myself here, but like you can be the best player and depending how bad you are at managing your money, it does not matter. You will lose. So like, that's the big thing is like figure out how to sustainably and intelligently, you know, make money and eventually move up in stakes uh, would be the biggest thing. And then, you know, also just, always be trying to come up with ways to improve like i do that to my detriment sometimes for sure um you know i'll be winning and i'll change something and then it's like well did that change suck or am i running bad now or you know whatever how do i get back to what i was doing um but you know i think the game's always evolving and i, I sort of mentioned it before where um i've had in the past it would be like a full year where i lose and i'm like shit like i need to do something different and you know i try to be more proactive with that now and just kind of try and be ahead of what's happening but obviously that's easier said than done um but yeah i think the to me the bankroll management thing is huge like that's something that i know a lot of people a lot of people that have more success than me like are good at and have had success with and um but to me that's just a really big deal yeah, I, I have never, neither of us have ever been good at bankroll management, but that's good good advice. Uh, bankroll management contest selection, which can include, I think, like uh, even like you know, I, I did the uh, the NFL, uh, what's it, flash drafts for DraftKings. Love doing those underdog dailies, different types. Of, try out, figure out what works for you. Um, oh. If 
No, you mentioned it with a contest selection. One thing that I definitely in the past made mistakes with, and I guess in some ways it cost me a million dollars. I like playing, being of the mindset that you can play less than the maximum number of entries in the softest fields that you can, as opposed to like, oh, I have $100, so I'm going to put three entries in the $33 three max against nothing but pros. Um, You know, you don't have, like the the Millie Maker, obviously, like you're probably not going to win it in this lifetime. But, and this goes for kind of for like the $4 too, like, you know, the 100K to first. Like you're probably not going to get first Clearly, you're not going to nearly as often as you are like the $15 that's one third of the size or smaller field stuff. But it's still such a soft field compared to even like the $15 where you should be putting your money in the softest fields first. That's something that uh, Alex actually had kind of tried to get through my head and sort of succeeded. And then I still like would play the slant instead of the milli and get second in the slant when I would have won the milli type stuff. Um, But (laughs) um, but yeah, like. Your if you have five hundred dollars to play, it's still going to go further playing the you know playing however many entries that is in the large field millie maker than it's going to go playing like a five hundred dollar single entry. I think I told you, Adam, that I uh, I got third solo third in the three dollar for MMA a couple weekends ago, and it would have tied for first place in the fifteen dollar, and I would have t- chopped hundred thousand what whatever. But I honestly I don't have regrets because it was like. Yeah, well, I, I played the contest like I, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna max out the one fifty max, uh, the fifteen dollar one fifty max. So I was like, there was never gonna be a scenario where I was actually going to get there on that day. Like I wasn't gonna play that volume. So it's like, right. I that, that's how I was contest. too with the with the milli. Like I had played it that season, but I hadn't played it in a couple of weeks. Um, there was a long period where like I just didn't really play the milli maker because I was just like, I'm not gonna win this. Like this is, a, I, I viewed it as like I'm not gonna get first. So why am I like throwing my entries into this where? You know, again, where like your return is still good because the field sucks. Um, right. But yeah, so it was it was like the twenty dollar milli maker in NFL. I played the nine dollar slant instead, and uh, yeah, like got second, would have won the milli. I never. It's not like I was sitting there that day, like, oh, am I going to play the milli today? So like, I didn't have a ton of regret. It's not right. even like I mean, like I've had days. I had a NBA stretch a few years ago where I would I would play one hundred and fifty lineups in the fifteen dollar, and then I would play a different set of one hundred and fifty lineups in the eight dollar. Like at the time it was 10K to first. I won the $8 three times in a week. And at least two of those times it would have won the 100K. I didn't win the 100K any of those days. So yeah. like that, like that, even though it's, you know, for 100K instead of a million, like that pissed me off more than the milli did realistically. Because you were playing both of them. So right. It was, kind right. Of random it was like, this lineups. was just pure randomness. Like that yeah. lineup could have been in that's, there. That's different. Yeah. And that's uh, like that's one of the things. Like, yeah, you can't really control that though. Like if you're going to play different lineups, um, so you can, it can tilt you. But like at the end of the day, that's uh i don't know um jqk asked uh your dfs mount rushmore um alex yodakau um i'm blanking on his name but the very obvious one from when like we first started playing uh gandia or sahil uh, well he's probably up there but no uh, sahil um yeah sahil sued it, I guess Kandi has probably got to be up there. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but yeah, I mean, there's the Chipotle bros there's Ricky D there is, um, two gun now has, I think five NFL. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of Travis Petty, um, for top yeah. in NBA. Like there, there's so many, and like, I'm sure there are 10 names that I'm like, that are, that deserve to be in the conversation at this point. Um, yeah, 
that's a, that's always a tough question. It, it is a fun fun conversation to have, especially when people do have really strong opinions. But I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea how much these guys have played, how much they've won. Like, we're kind of guessing, to to be honest. Oh um, yeah, like there's a decent. I mean, I guess not because like they've been around for so long. But well, you know, like I don't know if Seal ended up up money. Like he definitely fell off the face of the earth. Um, for, you know, from a DFS standpoint. So yeah, like I was gonna say, there's some chance that at least one of the names that people like throw out isn't even true is down good. money oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure for sure there is um rich bs what is your process for a high variance sport like mlb what is your stack theory five three or four four um it's or i other. mean my process generally is similar because the math behind it's going to account for it you know like um actually like so sort of one of for for there were there was a period this uh, NBA season where I thought I was playing a little bit too chalky, and then I looked at my NHL lineups using the essentially same process and saw that if anything I was playing too contrarian in NF, in NHL, and I was like, okay, well that's just a function of NBA is very very projectable and NHL has a lot more volatility, uh, you know, similar to MLB. So from a process standpoint, it's not going to be totally different. It's just that. Whereas in NBA, when you get a 3K, like I had 75% of uh, Moody tonight at 3K flat starting for Golden State, that player doesn't exist really in baseball unless it's a pitcher yeah. that is cheap. Um, you know, you're just not really going to be getting 75% Ronald Lacuna just because he's Ronald Lacuna. And there's still a um, lot more volatility, like even with pitchers, yeah. like it's like, yeah, you can, you can be a 4K great spot, but it's still, still a volatility. Right. Volatility. Yeah. There, it's, it's, there's less volatility than hitters, but yeah. still way more than like basketball nba yeah yeah um yeah so one thing that i do like it's i guess kind of goes back to what i was saying about when i am tweaking things and trying to make sure that things make sense it's not like i hard cap hitters at 30 percent or anything but if i make some sort of adjustment and then i go through my whole process and it's telling me i should be playing like 80 percent of some hitters I kind of look at that like, okay, I think I might have messed something up. If right. I go through and it's just like, yeah, your highest owned hitter is 33%. And then it's just kind of flat down from there. It's like, okay, I think this is probably working the way that I want it to just because, you know, it's clearly accounting for the fact that these guys are going to fail so often and there's so much volatility here. So like, that's an example, I think of like a different sport where you, there's, there's just kind of something that stands out where it's like, okay, what I'm doing is probably working the way I intend it. Um, CJ Reno asks, uh, what kind of bourbon I'm drinking? I'm drinking Maker's Mark once again, but he also asks, uh, at ship my money RPS. And I've seen other people were saying ship my money belongs at ship it nation. Obviously the names, um, do you have any, uh, you probably, you probably don't have a, a take on any of these sites or whether you're going to join them. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any takes like, um, they're all, they're all like staff. They all have good players. They all have good talent yeah. there. Like, um, you know, yeah, like there's DMs are open. DMs are yeah, open. yeah, exactly. Like I'm not, I'm not sitting here like you know, no, like I hate them or anything. Like, right. But it's not like uh, they're not struggling for talent. Like they have it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, could be Travis says he felt like ship joining RPS was inevitable. Oh uh, well, well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe one day. Um, scrolling down again. I'm like, I'm scrolling. I'm like, oh shit. There's way more comments. I guess using the Streamyard as opposed to like just having YouTube open, it's like it doesn't automatically show you like the the thing doesn't get smaller, so you don't see how many comments there are. And then I'm, uh, I, I just realized I had forgotten you could even see comments in Streamyard. I was just I had private chat open. I was like, what are you even looking at? Like I'm looking at YouTube. Yeah. Oh, funny. 
Like when um, you told me uh, the timestamp for Stephen Lieberwood's comment, I was just like, okay, that means nothing to me. Right. Uh, Sportswiz says you can't really teach personal responsibility to some people. It's not that hard to manage your finances, but folks still want to be greedy. DFS is too fun not to risk it all. LOL. I feel like he just, um, he was just uh, yelling at us. You feel like he was just kind of yelling at us? Uh, I mean, I completely agree. You can't teach respons <laughs> personal responsibility to me. Yeah. Like Adam and I, I are the I'm subject. 34 years, <laughs> I'm 34 years old now. The ship has sailed. I'm 40 uh, years old and I'm, yeah. I'm never going to learn personal response. My wife tries. She tries so hard to teach me personal responsibility. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like I, somebody asked the girlfriend question earlier. Uh, and I remember having the conversation with somebody that doesn't matter but um like years ago you know where she kind of brought up the like well what do you think would have happened if like you know blah blah and i was like well i probably wouldn't be this was like right after i quit law school it was like i probably wouldn't be doing what i'm doing right now and like doing the things that i actually really want to do because i would have had to like be responsible for you and not just myself right. um you know but then now i'm like okay you still haven't learned any of this so i'm starting to like understand when you know like people say things like, oh yeah, like she changed my life or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like I needed her and it's just like, nah, I kind of, at least from like a stop doing stupid shit with your money standpoint, <laughs> right. I just kind of see it. <laughs> my wife has helped in that regard a little bit. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, uh, Dan Strafford wants to know your DFS podcast host, Mount Rushmore. And keep in mind that I am right here. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dan already knows that anytime I'm pissing in a public bathroom, I hear his voice saying and away we go. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess he's got to have a spot on there somewhere for that reason alone. Um, obviously, Lofty's up there. Put you up there because I'm on your show. I said that. I'm, yeah, that was me saying I'm right here, by the way. That wasn't Stratford. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. Um, but thank you for clarifying that it's only because you're on my show right now. Well, I'm trying to think of anybody else that has hosted a show with me that isn't Josh. Oh, yeah. You just don't want to put Josh in there. Um, we just like you were on Blender's show. Cut one of the heads off Mount Rushmore. Yeah, right. All right. That's fair. You can do that. Um, sports wants to know if you're ever going to go on lols if you'd be open to it. I mean, sure, I, I've been on lols uh once. Oh, that's right, on... they, did, they did a big party thing, right? They yeah, yeah, party. it was during um an MMA, it was a Nunez fight, I think. Uh, yeah, I was on with uh Brian, Pete, and I think uh RBX, and maybe I think a couple other people jumped in too. Um, yeah, so I have actually technically been on, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't care, like, I when I was doing content full time, I didn't want to do anybody's shows, as you very well know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, because you know, like I was saying before, like I enjoy doing shows. I'm not like waking up every day, like oh, like how many things, how many podcasts can I do today? Um, I don't enjoy them that much. But you know, right. yeah, like now it's kind of if anybody that I know like DM me was like, hey, do you want to jump on this and just like shoot the shit and talk? Like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I got to say it was much easier. I had tried to get Adam on my old podcast, but when we were coworkers and the podcast <laughs> was for the company we worked for, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to talk about my process. Don't want to give up any edge. And this was, this was much easier. I was like, we don't, we can, we can, you know, not talk about process at all. We can like, just talk about your bet, whatever. And he was like, no, that's whatever. We can, we can talk about whatever. So uh, Adam is bored. He's more willing to do podcasts yeah. than ever right now. You, you've gotten me, you've gotten me on twice and both times or when I wasn't. Was, I just take advantage of you being bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Works out really well. All right, we are coming up on two hours. So I think we're just going to uh, end it right at the two hour mark. I don't see any more questions in chat. So um, I will just ask you my my final question that I always ask. Tell me tell me about your favorite win or win celebration in DFS, sports betting, best ball, whatever it is, uh, your favorite win and or win celebration. Um, so I, mean, I don't really have any 
good win celebrations, I don't think, because I live I live on the East Coast. And so bars and everything, I can't really do anything fun when I win, um, like the night of at least. You know, like I'll go out to a good dinner or whatever. But um, I my favorite wins, it's probably it's between my first 100K. Um, I mentioned that I just always won like at parties. We were, I lived with a roommate in law school. Uh, I had just quit and he was having his friends over. I had a few of my friends over to the house and, uh, I had a team doing well and then it kind of fell off and I sort of stopped paying attention. And then I saw like Steph Curry just going nuts and bringing up one of my teams. So like, I'm just at this party with a bunch of my friends and I win hundred K for the first time ever. So like, that was fun. Um, and then I actually, I guess similarly, a uh, couple of my biggest ever win was January, 2022. Um, I'd gone up to New York. One of my friends from law school, it was his birthday. And so I got up to New York and I'm sitting at the bar. We go out Saturday night. I'm sitting at the bar, just like trying to stop feeling like shit on Sunday. And one of my law school friends is sitting next to me and um, I wasn't sweating off. I didn't have any good teams and we're watching football and I opened the app and like it says I'm breaking even. And I'm like, that's weird. Like I must have a golf team that's sort of doing something. And so I look and I have like one team kind of climbing and I texted Ben and was like, Hey, is this team actually live? Like I'm not following golf. And he's like, uh, if Lanto Griffin, you know, closes out strong. And about the time he said that Lanto Griffin hold out for Eagle from like a hundred and something yards. And, uh, he's like, Oh yeah, you are very live now. So I went from just like sitting at the bar being miserable to just like literally opening my phone and being like, Oh shit, I just won $175,000. Like sitting with one of my friends who again was from law school. So he's just sitting there like, this is just what happens all the time. Right. But yeah, like, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't have any like crazy, you know, Oh, I won a tournament and immediately was in a strip club or anything. But uh. <laughs> right. An another way that you're an asshole is that you have won in both PGA and NHL, like sports that you don't play. Yeah. You just like step in and, and win right away. It uh, has to be super frustrating for those. Oh yeah. And MMA, but MMA, <laughs> I feel like is more like you play MMA a little bit, right? I mean, I, I play, yeah, I play, um, I, I play PGA a decent amount too. Um, I played NHL okay, yeah. this year, but I didn't. The NHL win that, that that should actually be up there as far as favorite wins too. Like it was only quote unquote 50k, but like just the entertainment value of winning the biggest NHL tournament of the year because I was bored during All Star break was great. But uh, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know if I've had a profitable MMA slate since that live final either. Yeah, I mean M MMA is like you either win or you don't, and, and if you're playing like to avoid dupes, it's like. You really like you put yourself it's hard like you you win every once in a while to pay off all of those other losses so mma is one of the really difficult sports for me to like have any idea of how i'm doing or if i'm good or not like um yeah me too like lately i've kind of just been getting killed on the first fight and not really getting close but i had a stretch like a couple months ago where um i was actually really down like thinking about mma like man i suck at this and then i started thinking back i'm like i think each of the last four weeks going into the last fight i've been like oh if this happens i win and it just didn't happen. So I'm down thousands of dollars and thinking I suck when realistically, like, I probably don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, Eric Linquist wants to know what's the opposite of Mount Rushmore that he can go on. Um, there's, I don't, there's, I don't know what you call that. I don't even know where, where, where I would put Eric. <laughs> all right. Fair, fair enough. Um, all right. Uh, er Eric will appreciate this. Um, I went out. I went to Nobu on last Monday and uh, made sure to text Jordan Klein a picture of chopsticks since he does not know how to use them, which we <laughs> found out when Jordan, Eric, and I went out for sushi together. That is, that is funny. And uh, I, th I think I knew that about Jordan Klein, that he doesn't know how to use chopsticks, yep. but it is pretty funny. Um, all right, um, Adam, where can people find you? 
Uh, still on Twitter, ship my money DFS. Um, you can DM me. I may or may not answer you. Uh, you can tweet at me. I may or may not make fun of you, but I'll be there. Thank you all for watching. This has been a really, really fun episode. Really fun to have you all here chatting. Um, if I didn't respond to your chats, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it a podcast. So, so sorry about that, but really, really enjoyed having you all here. Uh, fun, fun discussion. Uh, this has been episode two of playing for keeps episode three is actually going to be on Monday afternoon. So, uh, check that out. Look, look for the link next week. Monday afternoon is going to be episode three of playing for keeps. Again, you can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. You can find Adam at ShipMyMoneyDFS. And of course, you can find me on this YouTube channel uh, or, or this podcast feed where if you are on podcast. So uh, please do like, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. Thanks for hanging out and we will catch you next time.